0: This is December the 10th, 2005. This is the last healing school this year. There will not be one at Justin this year. I don't have one on Christmas Day or the day after Christmas on the weekend. But December the 10th, 2005, welcome to the healing school at Dallas. Let's come to the Father. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I want to thank you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods, and you are the faithful God, Lord, that you are the King. And I'm so grateful to know you as my Lord and Savior. I'm so grateful for all the wonderful things you do. I'm grateful for your saving grace and your mercy to us, your children. Lord, thank you for this day and I ask you to be with us today. Lord, as Dave gives his testimony today, I ask you to bless and anoint him in a special way. Uh, And as Janet speaks her poem today, I ask you to anoint her in a special way too. Lord, I ask you to use all of us, just mere dust, mere human beings, to bring glory and honor to your name. Because you are and you alone are worthy of that glory. So, Father, we thank you for the day. And if we talk about your word today, I ask you to bless us in everything we do in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right. Today we're going to have a testimony. We're going to start off with this testimony. I'll give you a little bit of an uh, idea that Dave Rosenfeld, uh, he's going to give you an in-depth uh, testimony of how he had been sick all of his life with an incurable disease and how he met the Savior as a healer. And as he began to read and study and listen to the word and through prayer several times, many prayers, how he received his complete healing and how today He is completely well. And what has happened and what transgressed. And he's going to show you from his generational sins and his own sins, what kind of sickness and disease came upon him. And as he repented from all these sins and stood on God's word, how the Lord did restore him. But it was one whale of a battle. I mean a battle. So, Dave, I want you to come up. And this is Dave Rosenfeld. And he's going to tell you in detail about his... uh, healing testimony. Oh, yeah. Okay. If you need that mic, just use that one. Okay. Great. Okay.
1: All right. My name is Dave Rosenfeld, and I'm truly excited to share my testimony with you today. It was, like the pastor said, it was a real rough battle. And I don't want anybody when we go to the pictures I don't want anybody thinking what a what a faith man I was and and what a what a man of God I was cuz I was scared through the whole thing <laughs> except I kept standing on the word the pictures are going to be kind of gross um if you have a weak constitution you might not want to watch them uh but it's it's the testimony is to give God the glory that no matter what you're fighting whether it be cancer or anything else what you're fighting the king healed it on the cross, paid for it on the cross, and you can be healed and walk in divine health. So I I titled it, Jesus Christ, the hope for those seeking divine healing. And one of the things God had given me a while back, he said, Dave, if you want Jesus to heal you, you have to do it Jesus' way. And so this is what I believe was Jesus' way. <laughs> okay. Uh, what I fought with was eczema. It's a... It's a uh, what Deuteronomy twenty eight twenty seven calls the itch that can't be healed. I don't know if anybody's ever dealt with it, but have you ever seen somebody just sitting there scratching all the time? They can't stop scratching, it's just like this. That is most likely eczema or some kind of skin inflammation that continually irritates them. It was also in in my case, weeping and weeping inflammation and eruptions in the skin, as as you find in Deuteronomy twenty eight, twenty two and thirty five, and some of the pictures will show that. Manifestation. Uh, It's a bright red skin with silvery scales, and in my case, it was a third-generation curse. Uh, I have the scriptures up there that you can refer to as to what a, a generational curse is, and I was born with it. So obviously, I didn't sin to have that come upon me. And when I contacted my mom, she was born with it, and. So therefore it wasn't her sin that brought it on. And I didn't go any farther back, but I know that on my grandfather's side, there's a whole host of eczema afflictions on that side of the, of the family. I had, I had once thought it was my grandmother that had it, but my mom was, uh, very adamant that grandmother, grandmother died of breast cancer. She did not have any eczema problems. So and breast cancer is another story. So, and I wanted to give you a couple memories. Um, I put these notes mostly for me. You don't have to read them. They're, they're small just because they're, they're for me to remember. As a child, my mom said I was born with it and it was actually in, in my ears and around my ears and behind them actually back behind here. And at the age of five, it began, the, the eczema began to manifest on my feet. And as, as I got to the age of 12, it hit, it had creeped up my legs, up to my knees. And my mom, She's she's a precious lady. (laughs) Uh, I remember as a child uh, having to put little plastic bags on my feet because they would put some kind of ointment on my feet and then they would put plastic bags and I would go to sleep with those plastic bags on my feet. And my mom said at age 12, she, uh, she came across what was raw milk or acidophilus and within a week she began to notice it change and within three weeks she said it was absolutely gone. However, when I got to the Air Force about the age of 20, I was always going to the medical clinic to get hydrocortisone or something for this rash that I always had on my face. And I asked them what it was, and they said, well, that's eczema. And they said, really, there's no cure, but here's some hydrocortisone or here's some other new uh, lotion or something we've come up with. Why don't you try this? And I, I... did that faithfully for 20 years. And one of the warnings I got in the Air Force was, don't put that stuff on your face. Because it, they, they said it's very harsh. And at that time, that was 1982, 83. I, I don't know if it was brand new, but they didn't really know what kind of damage it would cause. But he had warned me, don't put that stuff on your face. Well, I, like a good soldier, ignored and disobeyed and kept putting it on my face for 20 years. So uh, once I got to college, I... God had told me to go to college and while I was in college I dropped out about a year and a half into it and I went off and got an engineering job and that's where I learned most of all my computer skills and how how to essentially how to build a computer and how to program it so that it does what you want it to do and when God told me to go back to school I was extremely angry I said, okay, I'll go but I ain't going to like it and I I flat out told him I was going to hate it the whole time And it wasn't a month to three months after that that sores began, weeping sores began to manifest on my legs. And they would not go away. I could not, I could not get them to go away no matter how much hydrocortisone, no matter how much lotion, no matter what I tried to do, if I tried to eat healthy, it wouldn't go away. And I had never understood the, what Thurman taught about all sicknesses caused by sin. And we'll get to that in a little bit. So, with these, uh, sores on my, on my legs, especially on the backs here. I couldn't, no, no longer could I run around in shorts and flip-flops and, and a t-shirt like I always had. And I continued to stay angry all through college. And I had gone to the, the medical clinic at school and they had done a bunch of tests and they confirmed, yep, that's a, a bad case of eczema and there's nothing we can do for you. So I graduated and got a good paying job with medical insurance and I moved to Texas. And, that move to Texas gave me the opportunity to go to one of the finest dermatologists in in Plano, where I lived. And he essentially said, well, yep, you have eczema, there's nothing we can do. And he hands me this subscription, which later when I go to the, the pharmacist, is a big, huge box of steroid cream. It's just a bunch of tubes that just, he says, just make sure you keep them in your refrigerator and they'll last a long time. And essentially gave me a lifetime subscription to... Uh, to this cream, he said, you, "If I had any problems, just come back in and get get another subscription, and he would, there would be no problems." Well, with that, I, I I thought, you know, I really don't like this stuff. I can't ever go out in public with with uh, shorts on or anything, because my legs, my arms are all, everything looks horrible. And so I turned to the alternative health. And my wife, oh, no, it's okay. Uh, my wife, and uh, at least before she was married, I I turned to the alternative medicine and, ter- and spent 5000 of my own dollars with one with two doctors who had said they could at least heal it well at the end of the of the regimen that they had put me through they said well we don't understand what's going on but this usually works but we don't know what's going on in your case and i said great and so i went home and continued to live with these sores on my body that kept getting worse and worse and it kept uh, kept putting hydrocortisone and that kind of things well before before and when I met Thurman, my morning ritual was to take a shower and then put on a coat of hydrocortisone on my body and put on a coat of lotion, something that would keep the skin clean or keep it moist. And that would take from 45 minutes to an hour and a half every morning. Uh, just, and that was not, this was not trying to beautify myself, this was simply trying to keep my skin intact because I didn't know how, what else to do. There was no other alternatives. I had, I had heard God tell me twice to get off of the medications, and the first time I did, I lasted, I, it's about a month to three months, and the eruptions and everything on the skin were so horrendous, I, thought, I said, I must have missed God, and then the second time he told me, it was a couple years later, he, I just, I heard in my spirit, get off your medication, and I tried, and I, I probably lasted six months, and my health really deteriorated. It, it was a, a huge battle with these weeping sores that would never stop. And I again said I must have missed God. And so I, uh, this is what I looked like right before uh, God had talked to me about going on the, on getting off my medications the third time. Other than just uh, very red skin all the time, that picture looks pretty normal. But you notice. I never am without long sleeves and long pants, everything except for the neck and the face show um, here. this is what I looked like before I met Thurman. You can see around the eyes there were some there was always an irritation around the eye. it would never I could never get the eyes to stop weeping, stop uh, breaking out, uh, other than that, the rest of me looks pretty good. Um, this picture is a little dark, but you can see how red my face is compared to All the other faces. And that's what I looked like about a month before God telling me the third time. What changed my life was I came across Thurman. And Thurman loves to tell the story that when he was at his Plano conference, I told him, or he was saying, I guarantee God will heal. And immediately I said, you can't guarantee what God's going to do. And that was when I first met him. Well, we started attending church about a month after that, and during one of the healing schools, in uh, the October healing school of 2003, he was sharing the story of Cody, and Cody was the little boy that had the enzyme, had to take an enzyme to keep his food down, and if he didn't, he would usually throw up his food. He was listening to a healing school one day, and after the healing school, he ran up to Thurman and said, "Hey, Pastor Thurman, I want you to pray for me." And so Pastor said, do you believe Jesus will heal you? He says, yes, sir. So Pastor prays for him, and off he runs. It's like, I don't, uh, not a very uh, dramatic event. Just off he goes. Well, when it comes time later to eat, his mama, with the threat of a spanking, tells him, if you don't take your medicine before you eat, I'm going to spank you. And Or if you, I'm sorry, let me back up. He, he went to go eat his food, and she said, here, take your medicine. He said, no, I'm healed. Pastor prayed for me. Jesus healed me. And there was a little struggle between mom and son. And finally, mom said, okay, if you throw up your food, I'm going to spank you. And he, with that threat hanging over his head, he ate his food. And little Cody has been healed ever since. At that moment, I heard the Lord speak to me the third time about getting off my medications. And I don't know, Thurman hears the Lord audibly all the time. I've heard him once. But most of the time, he comes into my spirit. It's like this little thought that just kind of... Flies through my head. And to tell you what that was, it takes me about 10 minutes to explain what he and I conversed at that time. The first first thing he said is, Dave, I want you to get off of your medications. And I said, but Lord, my medications, that's what's keeping my skin from blowing up and looking like it had the other two times. And he said, do you want to do that stuff the rest of your life? I said, no. He says, I'll meet you where your faith is at. And I said, okay, but Lord, you don't mean my vitamins, because that's what's rebuilding my health. And he said, do you want to do those the rest of your life? I said, no. He says, I'll meet you where your faith is at. And then I said, but you don't mean the organic diets and all the good diets that I'm taking. And he said, do you want to do those the rest of your life? I said, no. He says, I'll meet you where your faith is at. Now, the reason the Lord told me that was because I was in bondage to him. The Lord freed us from all bondage, and He doesn't want us in bondage to anything, and that's what I was in bondage to—the the creams and the lotions, and all of that were bondage that I was that I was under. Now I'm going to take you to the pictures, what I looked like, and then I'm going to explain afterwards what I was doing through this battle. Before the, before this started, as Thurman had taught us that all sickness was caused by sin, my wife and I diligently began to. As the Lord brought to our remembrance, remembrance, uh, sins we had committed, we simply claim John, First John one nine, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that's what we do. And when a sin would come up, and there was some very obvious sins in my life that I had committed, even though I was born with this condition, I had certainly exacerbated my problem with the sins I had committed um, in my in my ch- child life and adult life. So, one of the things I do want to share is that when you're looking at these pictures, this is only to show you that it can get bad, but Jesus will always heal you. Okay? This is what my feet look like. It's a little dark there, but there was just a little red spot on the top, and I had a red rash, but there was a little red spot on the top of the foot, on top of the feet, and my face. Okay, actually I'm going to take you through the feet picture, sorry. This is what my foot liked one month later. When there was, when it started oozing out of that spot that I had always kept hydrocortisone on. And then this is what my feet looked like. This is the same one month later. I'm going to move a second. I guess I won't move that. That's my, that's my, counter there that tells me since the laptop screen's not on I have to look up there to see what month it was I'll remember though this is what it looked like at uh, two to three months that's what it looked like from uh, probably three months later this is actually that was six months this was what it looked like in nine months and here I'm standing I'm going at this point they smelled like death that what I was fighting on my feet smelled like death. And the devil came to my mind and he said, you have gangrene, you're going to lose those feet. And I said, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. I said, I do not have gangrene, and I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. This is what my feet, this is still the nine months. And I'm going to point out that there was an infection that got into the toenail on on the big toe there. And at 18 months... My feet were still red rashy. They had healed a long ways, but I was still fighting that infection in the toenail eight, 18 months later. And for those of you that want to see, this is what my feet look like today. Okay. They even have a little tan stripe for the for the flip-flops that I wore all. Okay, Here, let me do it so the camera can see it. Okay, that's what my feet look like today. and. I want to show you some of the other struggles. Even though the feet looked like that, this is what the rest of the body was doing. That's what I looked like in public, with the with the sores on around the eyes because they were finally doing whatever they thought they were supposed to do. And you'll notice the shiny spot down on the bottom on the neck. The skin was always weeping. That's not. I did not do any medications through this time. Any lotions. Any vitamins, I simply just ate what my wife cooked. And this is what the body was doing through this 18 months. This is what my neck looked like. Here's a good example of how red the face was versus what the body looked like. You can see it on the neck, around the eyes, and under the arms, under here. This is what it looked like inside my el- inside my my arms. This was just some of the battle on my torso. And I want to remind you, all of this didn't just show up one day and leave one day. These were battles that stayed for months. Everything you're seeing here didn't just come and go. It was something that I was continually fighting the entire 18 months. This is what the inside of the legs looked like. And to remind you, Jesus will heal you from whatever you are dealing with. Okay, I'll go through them real fast. <laughs> and this is what, even, even at nine months, I was still, you can see the feet down there, just having a real problem. And the, the uh, backs of the legs were still extremely itchy, just constantly, all the time like this. And they were constantly weeping. If, if anybody had ever noticed, they would usually see wet spots on the backs of my pants because the weeping would, go through, would soak through the, soak through the, the, the fabric. And this is what my hand looked like when I first started. It just was very chapped. And then it got very infected at the wedding ring area. And that's a closer shot of it. And this is... Now, mind you, the whole time I'm going through this, the Lord has has given me a couple of scriptures that I'm going to share with you. And that's what I looked like. Fourth of July one year. Still had nine... Ten, eleven, some some odd months later, I was still dealing, still fighting with it on my face, very visible, and that that was a long year of never being able to get that, never being able to have that stuff go away. Uh, okay, I want to encourage you. I've already showed you my feet. I'll take off the other foot so you know I'm not hiding anything. You can, if you want, to see my pants legs like later. You, later, you can. Uh, I want to share with you what's that? I want to share with you what I did to fight that battle, because most people, after a month of looking like that, like I did the first time, knew that I missed God, And definitely most people after the second time of six months, know they missed God, and what made me decide I was going to fight this battle to the end. Uh, God had quickened to me several scriptures. And I, this is the part that's really more important than all the pictures. Uh, when, when you're fighting a battle, stay in the Word every day. I, I was in this little book, this Healed of Cancer, just happened to be a book that was given to me and there was 40 scriptures in it. And every day, I'd, I'd open that book and I'd read those scriptures. And, will you go get that for me? It's in my laptop. No, no, I'm sorry, it's right here. Uh, I would, I would open it up. And I would either go to the go to the restroom and sit down and just read the scriptures to myself or I would go outside. Everybody at work took smoke breaks. So I figured I could go take a smoke the devil break. So I would go out there and as I would read these scriptures, nothing ever seemed to really change. It it just looked like, well, you're not getting anywhere. Nothing's changing. It's not really doing any good. And one day the Lord happened to. Quicken to me says, "Okay, Dave, you're you're reading these scriptures, but why don't you apply them to yourself? So here's a good example. I was reading through and I was saying, so you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. And I'd read that every day. And one day he said, why don't you apply that to yourself? Okay, and then so I began saying. And so I will serve the Lord, my God, and he will bless my bread and my water, and he will take sickness away from the midst of me. And I did that for a long time. After I had read the scriptures for several months, just reading them straight out, of what I, what God had shown me, I went and I started personalizing. And then he said, okay, now you say them to me and to the devil. And I said, okay. Father, I thank you that I have the opportunity to serve you as my God and that you bless my bread and my water and you take sickness away from the midst of me. And Satan, I remind you that I serve the Lord God and that he blesses my bread and my water and he takes sickness away from the midst of me. And this is how the Lord led me through those three steps of one, reading the scriptures till they began to start changing inside my heart. And then he said, now personalize them because they belong to you. And then he said, okay, now you speak them back to me and speak them to the devil so the devil knows they belong to you. And that's just what he had me do. Uh, some of the scriptures, I want to talk about rhema's for a second. In, in Luke 1.37, it says that the angel is telling Mary that not one, not, nothing is impossible for God. Well, in the Greek, that word nothing, that phrase that they translate, nothing is impossible, is actually the word, Greek word rhema. And that's the word I like to use to explain to people that when you have a scripture and all of a sudden it lights up inside you, it quickens, it becomes alive, it all of a sudden means a whole lot more to you than it did before, that's a rhema from God. And in my battle, there were, there were five rhemas, five rhemas here that He gave me. And the first one that happened actually during my first and second battle, first or second battle where I failed, uh he gave me Galatians 3.13, where it said, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. And I said, OK. And at the time, I didn't understand how to use rhemas. So I just, OK, thank you, God. And that was it. I didn't realize that later when things would get bad, the rhema was what you were to always remind the devil that the Lord had told you. So when you're when you look at your feet and they just look, they smell like death. The first thing that should come out of your mouth are the Ramas that God has given you, because he is not every person has been quickened or has had that scripture come alive in them, but there are others, and they're the ones that God spoke directly to you to tell you that your battle you can beat your battle, you can win that battle but here's as pastor always says it, here's that sword you pull out to slice the devil up, and they're ramas they're 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 not they're they're not impossible they, there, nothing is impossible for God. That's what he's saying. Is, You'll win this battle. And I didn't understand that, so I fought through those other battles as best I knew how. Uh, Deuteronomy 28:15 was the second scripture. He said in Galatians 3:13 that he redeemed me from the curse of the law. And what was the curse of the law? Well, when I went to Deuteronomy 28 in the New Living Translation, this is, these are the passages that he quickened to me. He said that if you refuse to listen to the Lord, your God, and do not obey all the commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. The Lord will send the Lord himself will send on you curses, confusion and frustration in everything you do until at last you are completely destroyed for doing evil and abandoning me. The Lord will afflict you with diseases until none of you are left in the land you are about to enter and occupy. The Lord will strike you with wasting diseases, fever, inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, and with blight and mildew. These disasters will pursue you until you die. The Lord will afflict you with the boils of Egypt. The boils actually is the the Hebrew word that talks about inflammations and eruptions. So the Lord will cause you, er, sorry, the Lord will afflict you with eruptions and inflammations of, of, of Egypt, and with tumors, scurvy, and the itch from which you cannot be cured. And then, if you refuse to obey the words of instruction that are written in this book, and if you do not fear the glorious and awesome name of the Lord your God, then the Lord will overwhelm you and your children with indescribable plagues. These plagues will be intense and without relief, making you miserable and unbearably sick he will afflict you with all the diseases of Egypt that you feared so much and you will have no relief the lord will afflict you with every sickness and plague there is even those not mentioned in this book of instruction until you are destroyed and this is what the lord was showing me that, that part of this uh, uh, trouble i was going through was because i had sinned and these were the these were the afflictions he promised back with moses back at the beginning of the Bible, that he was going to put on me. So I knew I'd been redeemed from that. Christ had redeemed me from all that mess. And so when the devil would come after me, I'd remember, no, Satan, I have been redeemed from that curse and you no longer have authority over me. The next scripture that he gave me was Mark 11:24, And that was when you pray, believe that you have received. He actually gave me that one, the day he told me to get off my medications and diets and vitamins the third time that that was he said when you pray believe that you have received and you shall have it and so as you saw the battle i charged into my victory because i was going to be healed tomorrow and it wasn't for almost 2 years that i did i ever see any manifestation of healing this is the first summer actually that i ran around in shorts and flip-flops and t-shirt like i've always wanted to do for oh probably the past 20 years and then Jeremiah 30:17, in the middle of the battle, about the time when when the, the the skin had gotten so rough and and so bad, he gave me Jeremiah 30:17, and he said, "I will restore life and health to you and heal you of your wounds." And hold on one second. Okay, I wanted to read back a little bit before 17. And it starts at verse 15. It said, Why do you cry? Because you're hurt, the natural result of your sins. Your pain is deadly and incurable because of the greatness of your perversity and guilt. Because your sins are glaringly and innumerable, I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you will be devoured, and all your adversaries, every one of them, will go into captivity and they who despoil you will become a spoil and all who prey upon you I will give for prey. For I will restore health to you and I will heal you of your wounds, says the Lord. And that was the next one that he gave me because once again he was showing me, Dave, you're in this because of your sins. But I have healed you and I will restore life and health to you and some day you will stand up like, I believe, Psalms 118, that he will restore, that he will I shall not die but proclaim the mighty works of God. And that's what I was uh, that's what he promised that I would do someday that I would share with you all that you can be healed from what whatever it is that you're dealing with. And finally the last scripture that he gave me was Job 33. And roughly to paraphrase that passage, this is where the the young the, the three young the three men and the one young man so there's four men total come to visit Job, and the three men cannot give a valid answer to Job for his condition, but the third, one, the fourth one finally says, "Okay, I'm tired of hearing y'all. I'm the younger, but you've had your chance to speak now. Let me speak." in to explain to Job that how man is bent to go to the pit, how he's bent to sin, how he's bent to the grave. And that it's God who goes and redeems him two and even three times, goes and gets him back and pulls him back out of that mess and sets him back up. And it says in there that he makes his, his flesh like baby, smooth, like baby skin. And those were the scriptures that God really quickened to me to, to say, Dave, in your battle, I have told you I will heal you. Now you use these every time the devil comes against you. I would like to bring my wife up right now. Because, first of all, she has my son, our, our son, sorry. And I couldn't have children till this mess got cleared up. Um, so here he is, and he's a precious little boy. And I wanted her to share a little bit about what it was like to be the spouse of this battle. A lot of people think they're going to charge into their battle. Um, if, they're, if they're single, charge, because the, the, the Heavenly Father will be your husband. But if you have a husband or a wife, and you're fighting a battle... I want to sh- I want her to share with you what the spouse was doing behind my back and what she was feeling because, as she puts it, my she was second fiddle in my life. That skin was all I looked at every morning, what I picked at, what I was worried about all day long. And she was the one that was behind the scenes battling this, this fight. And I want her to share that battle with you all.
2: i when we met we met here oh um uh i was i'm from canada so i'd flown down for a bible conference and we met here he kind of proposed that first week and i flew back to canada to think about it so we were on the phone for almost two years straight now i got to meet the man got to know him very well on the phone but i never got to see him scratch all day long every time we we were on the phone we'd spend an hour to three hours a day talking but i never saw him scratch so we got married, and it was impressive to me that in the middle of the night, while he was sleeping, all he could do was scratch. And that silent scratching would just shake the bed. It was, it was a problem, I thought. <laughs> but it was amazing. I was like, oh, we're newly married, and God's first, maybe. Skin is definitely second. And I don't know where I fit in after that, as he said. But it was, it was an eye-opener. But I knew once I got married to him, of course, our battles became one. His problems were my problems and my problems were his. (laughs) So I knew then I would roll up my sleeves. Okay, let's go conquer this skin. I knew it could be healed. So I went, started reading up on the medical field. I read his reports that the doctors had said he pulled out everything for me. I went into books and I did my research. Medicine definitely said that all we can do is give you worse creams that have more side effects that can help you maintain some form of life with it. But don't uncover yourself and you probably, you know, it'll just get worse. The natural health, of course, if a lot of you are part of that field, a lot of you have products that would help most people. But anything I did try with him, it would work for about a week or two. And then it it became, his skin would become worse again. It was like there was an intelligence behind the whole thing. So we tried everything that I could think of if it wasn't too expensive. But anyways, when he said we're getting off the medicines, the everything else like that, I thought, oh, God, I hope that was you talking. Because, you know, I thought, okay, well, I guess I'll back him up. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yeah. I said, okay. And um, so that was that day, no vitamins. We didn't go on any special diet. We ate whatever. It was, it was a relief in some ways. We had more money to spend all of a sudden. <laughs> the next day we woke up. And he woke up, and he was walking like Frankenstein because the skin was so tight. And he went in to go for a shower, and I thought, oh, dear. I looked at him, and I said, Dave, are you sure? Maybe God wouldn't mind if you used a little bit of cream. And he turned around, something like this, and said, Asha, you're supposed to be helping me. And I all of a sudden realized what Job's wife was going through. She was seeing her husband suffer, and she was saying, "I just wish you could just curse God and die, just to get out of it." I felt bad. I said, "Okay, God, I repent. I'm going to help him, even if I don't like what I see." Well, of course, it got worse after that. But um, so I wouldn't—I tried not to complain too much verbally, but inside my heart, I was trying really hard not to complain, because this was—it was getting hard. I mean, we had to live very quietly in private we didn't go out anywhere we didn't see people all the excuses we'd have to make if i touched his arm by accident because i was holding on to his arm he'd have to jerk it away because i forgot and hurt him it was just little things like this and it was just pretty tough and i remember in january you we started in october and in january i was really trying hard not to complain inside myself because he couldn't drive some days which is and he couldn't talk. He'd have to be really monotone. It would hurt his, the skin on his throat or his mouth or his jaws or whatever it was. And um, I knew we, we were charging in. I knew we were going to do this by faith, but it had to be faster and we couldn't, you know. So I was frustrated. So in January, I woke up and there was this little little red spot on my leg. I thought, huh. And it, it was irritating. And so Dave said, oh, it's just an ingrown hair. So I tried to pick uh, pick at it, but it kept weeping. But two weeks later, I had this uh, this round sore that was indented. It was weeping constantly. That was sore, swollen, red, spider bite. And I got, oh, dear. And, you know, of course, he was so busy with his skin. I'm like, Dave, we need to do something about this. Dave, we need to do something about this. Dave, we need to do something about this. And so about two weeks later, someone said, that looks like a spider bite. You need to either go to a doctor or do something. So we prayed about it, and I knew this was my... My issue, I went to the Word, and at first I went to the web, found out what kind of spider bite. Some of the symptoms I had gone through and didn't realize it was related to the spider bite led me to believe it was a brown recluse. So, anyways, I had read also that the spider bite was similar to a snake bite. In the scripture, I looked up, and I found out the only time the Israelites were ever bit by vipers were when they were complaining about God's provision, And I thought, oh, Father, I am so sorry. I haven't been verbalizing it, but I've been meditating on complaining in my heart. So I repented. And it took a couple of months, but without anything, because if he was not going on lotions, special diets, medication, or anything else, neither was I, whether I liked it or not, because I chose to do that. That was my form of helping. Anyway, so my stand of faith. And so it did heal up. I have a tiny little scar, and it's fading away. God is good. So I learned not to complain and uh oh yeah but all through this i started learning when you have a partner or a spouse who's going through something you want to get angry at that person for why not are you hurrying up how come you're scratching you should know better than to scratch you're not saying this but you because you know he can't help it and so i was thinking okay god i don't know now i'm getting angry at myself because i'm getting angry at him for trying to walk this out then you've got condemnation and all of a sudden I clued in. That's the devil trying to split us up. The devil's trying to cause division to make us unstable in our faith. And he needed my support, I believed. And I really, I wanted to be part of this. So he, uh I was memorizing Luke 10:19, realized that I had all power and authority over serpents and scorpions and started realizing that I wasn't getting angry at the devil. I was getting angry at the things that I could see, not the thing that was causing the problem, which I couldn't see. I have a problem. I can't get angry at stuff that I can't see. I want to make a bargain, say, you do your thing. Just let me alone. Let my husband alone. Let my family alone, and I won't bother you. Devil doesn't make that kind of bargain. So I finally rolled up my sleeves and I thought, okay, when he was gone off to work, I thought, God, I don't know how to get angry. So I knew that I could yell, make myself angry, and I'd get angry at the devil. And so I learned to get angry at the devil in private. The First time he came home and he's scratching. There were nights where if he was scratching, he could not stop. Forty-five minutes later, he's just frantic. I remember one time we were staying at someone's house on the second floor, sleeping on the floor because the bed, it would hurt him too much. And I was like, Dave, why don't, in the th- thought that went through my head was, tell him to jump out the window so then at least we can take him to the hospital and he'll have some temporary relief. I thought, you lying devil, how dare you suggest that to me and to, for me to even think about saying it. So I got angry. I learned a little trick, though. I got angry at the devil, told him off, and about two minutes after that, he was quiet and he went to sleep. So it went through the battle was at nighttime now when he started scratching. I'd wake up, tell that devil where he needed to go and yelled over it, and Luke 10:19 was my fighting scripture. And um, then he would get quiet and he'd go back to sleep. After a while, he said, would you please do it more quietly and don't wake me up? But it was funny that during the daytime, only it was then it, we wouldn't have to fight the devil through the day about the itch. Because that little devil would flee every time we would get after him. It was the battle through the night when we were both sleeping. When the two of you are one, if you're both not fighting, he, the devil wants to separate you. When his character changed because he was in so much pain, it was like, okay, well, I didn't plan to marry this. I didn't plan to go through this because we were newlyweds at that time. I didn't plan for his character to change. He acted like an old, grumpy man <laughs> in my books. I thought, okay, well, I married this. I might as well go with it. My father is my husband, and he is blessed if he act, acts like my husband. Okay? I'm
1: done. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, son. So I, I, I wanted to share this testimony with you today to to encourage you in whatever battle you're fighting if you know you've heard the lord tell you something keep staying staying in the scriptures quote going through your scriptures every day because it's actually doing something even though in the middle of my battle it wasn't and this for the spouses be encouraged that it it does end it's uh, she said she married she got a new man after all this was done so i remember as my healing started to manifest towards the 18th month uh 15th, 18th month, I could actually get up and I'd say, can you bring me a fork? Wait, no, no, I can get up and get it now. Because before moving was so, tiring, so painful. Now I could jump up and do it. And I started, as soon as I could start doing things on my own, I started doing it. I started doing all the driving and I'd do, I'd get my, whatever it was, I would do it myself. I think we're done. Thanks, thanks for your time. Um, and it's for His glory in Jesus' name.
0: What a testimony he's got, isn't it? Praise the Lord. I mean, a tremendous testimony of healing. Wow. Janet's got a poem she wants to quote to us. It's going to fit perfect right after this. Uh, I want Janet to come up here and quote this little poem. Just take her just a couple of minutes. She quoted it to me a while ago, and it was so beautiful. I want you to hear this. She wrote this.
3: Um, This was written the week after my youngest daughter was healed of an allergy that she had had since i had had her and i got her at nine months old so she had had it for six years and um i remember that next morning when i woke up and and prayer was on my tongue and i just when i said father it it just i mean there was such a a a sweetness in my spirit and the connection that 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 healing established in my heart. It was really sweet. But um, more and more, day by day sweeter, and sweeter each time I pray, answers sent from your throne above, endearing my heart to your perfect love. Yesterday I knew you as Savior. Yesterday I knew you as Lord. But today when I call you Father... That name is sweeter than honey on my tongue. Yesterday I knew you as king of the universe, but today you're king of my heart. For today I know you as healer. Your perfect love is casting out all fear. Plunge me deeper into the fountain of your love. Let me be immersed in its life-giving flow. Show me all of your goodness, my King. That I may glory in the wealth of your wonderful, marvelous, perfect love. Lord, I want to be like you. I want to do the things that you do. I want to love like you love. I want to be like you. I want the world to see your glory shine through me. I want to love like you love. I want to be like you. Lord, make my life a praise unto you. May others see you clearer by the things I say and do. Fill me with your goodness and your compassion, your long-suffering and your grace. Let your mercy and your forgiveness flow from my life to others, that the world may know you more, that the world may know, yes, that the world may see a reflection of your love as you live through me Make my life a praise to the glory of your matchless name. Make my life a praise to the glory of your name. Yes, to the glory of your holy name. Baruch Hatha, Yahweh Eloheinu, Melech Halam. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, King of my heart.
0: Amen. Praise the Lord. Very nice poem that she wrote there, Praise the Lord. Tremendous testimonies of healing to the power of God. What he's able to do if we will only believe. Kind of amazing, isn't it? How many of you got the kind of faith it takes to stand for your healing? All of us, praise the Lord, we're going to stand. Of course, what we love to do is see God heal miraculously. And when he does it miraculously, that's wonderful. We like to lay our hands on someone and see them get miraculously healed. And boy, that is a wonderful thing. But this testimony that Dave had here, I wanted you to hear this in its entirety so that you can realize that he is the healer. And when he says, I'm the one, Psalms 103, he goes in a series he says, forget not all the Lord's benefits who forgives all of your iniquities, all of your sins. He's He's willing to forgive us since he gave his son 2,000 years ago. He's willing to forgive us of all of our sins. All we've got to do is ask. And then the next thing he says I do after you repent of your sins, I heal all of your diseases, all of them. Now then, most people today in church, don't even know Jesus as healer. I didn't a lot of years of my life. And so by not knowing him as healer, you only have one other alternative, and that's doctors and medicine. But when you learn he is the healer, and he does heal, regardless of what happens, you've got to stand on the word. And when you do, he will heal you. Now then, in this Scripture, Exodus chapter 15, verse 25, i got a few scriptures here I'm going to read out of the Old Testament, and we'll see what he said, and of course, you know, he's never changed, he's the same kind of God, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but in Exodus 15:25, it says, "...so Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a branch. Moses took the branch, and he threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink." Now then, when Moses had a problem, who did he cry out to? To God, yeah. And when you cry out to the Lord, and he gives you an answer, just like you noticed, Dave said, Then when the Lord communes with him, it's like he hears this little zip, you know, that goes through and it takes him ten minutes to say what God says. And he can communicate with you like that, with that kind of a speed. You know, it's amazing how he can do those kind of things. But, uh... It says, it was there at Mara that the Lord laid before them the following conditions to test their faithfulness to Him. Now, you noticed uh, that He tested their faith. He will test yours, He will test mine. Every day He tests our faith. In verse 26, He says, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord. Now, I think this is the NLT translation I'm reading out of. It's been so long since I made this outline. Uh, I don't remember which translation. I don't think this is a King James. But he says, If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and his laws or his statutes, then will I not make you suffer the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. He is the Lord who heals you. But you see that all of these things are based around obedience to do what he says. It's hard to walk there. It's very difficult to walk there. When you've got the two ingredients that are our worst enemy, the flesh and the devil. And the flesh is going to be with you as long as you live and the devil is going to be with you as long as you live. And those two are very difficult to overcome. I'll tell you for sure it takes something else but then we'll go from Exodus 15 to Deuteronomy 30 Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 11 it says Deuteronomy 30:11 says this command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand or perform now God says these things are not difficult for us but to me it seems like they're very difficult but he says in Deuteronomy 30:11, this command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand or perform or to do. It is not up in heaven, and it is, so, it is not up in heaven so distant that you must ask, who will go to heaven and bring it down so we can hear and obey it? It is not beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, who will cross the sea to bring it back to us so we can hear and obey it? The message is very close at hand. It is in your mouth, on your lips, and in your heart, so that you can obey it. The word is in your heart. Whatever is in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. And whatever comes out of the mouth is what's in the heart. You know, if darkness comes out of your mouth, that's what's in your heart. You have not cleaned it yet, it's still. Very dark. Matthew said, if you have darkness in your heart, how dark is that darkness? Well, that darkness can come out. And it can be very vile and very wicked. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice. He's always doing this to us. I am giving you a choice between prosperity and disaster. Well, you would think that would be a very easy decision to make. But many of us make the wrong choice. I am giving you a choice between prosperity and disaster, between life and death. I have commanded you today to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, his laws, and his regulations by walking in his ways. Now, people say, but I don't believe in God, so I don't have to keep those commands. It makes no difference. Whether we believe or whether we do not believe, Whether we know them or we do not know them, he holds every human being on the earth accountable to his rules. Whether you know it or not, you live by them. Just like that statement that I made to you a while ago that was told to me about how... In fact, I I have made this statement at several different places. There was a preacher in South Texas that the day that he died, there was going to be a governor's election... And he looked right in at camera and said, I'd rather die than see that man be elected governor of the state of Texas. And that day, that man died in an airplane crash. And I did not know that Abraham Lincoln had made the statement, when this war is over, I will die. And the night the war was over, he died. He was killed. I didn't know that. But people tell us these things. But I did know that the children of Israel, which had saw all these mighty miracles... That God had done and performed. And he brings them over to the land of promise. And tells them now to go in and I will go with you and possess the land. And they said it is truly a land flowing with milk and honey. But there is giants in the land and we cannot take this land. You got to realize you can't take the land. But if God goes with you, you can take the land. And he promised to go with them. So they said it would be better for us if we had died in the wilderness. The Lord says. They only said that one time. He said, I will judge you with your own mouths. Into the wilderness you will go, and every one of you that's over 20 years of age will die in the wilderness, and none of you will inherit my rest. None of you. That's kind of scary, isn't it? They only made that statement one time. Do you notice one of the things that Yeshua said there, that when she started complaining about Dave's situation, what happened to her? She began to come down sick. Isn't that amazing? I mean, she's supposed to fight the battle with him. Yeah, is he going to be easy to live with during this battle? No. Nobody ever knows anybody's heart. You don't know what's going on in the other person's heart. Nobody does. You really don't know. You don't know where the other person's coming from. Yeah, and I've learned that through life. Nobody knows my heart. Nobody knows your heart. You don't know where I'm coming from. You may think you know me, but you don't know me. I may think I know you, but I don't know you. Only God knows you because he knows your heart. We can't know the human being, even our own selves. We really don't know who we are. There is times when we've all done things. And when you do them, you think five minutes later, why did I say that to that man? Why did I do that? Well, that's just like Peter. See, Jesus understood this principle. Here he says, here he is with his men. And he says, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. First of all, said men say that you're the prophet or whatever. He said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, Lord, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. He said, you've said, well, that I am indeed. But he said, now then I'm fixing to go to Jerusalem to die for you. And this same man reaches up and grabs him and pulls him over and said, never, it shall never be. And he turns and says, get behind me, Satan. God's speaking out of his mouth one minute, and the devil the next. You think if he can do that to Peter, he can do it to you and me? Sure he can. Absolutely he can. That's why I say, we don't understand this spiritual battle that's raging. We only go by what we see. Just like Ayesha said, I only could go by what I saw. And I didn't like what I saw. She didn't like the battle. In fact, something she told me that she didn't tell you all today... She told me, she said, if we had have known the battle was going to be so long and so intensive, we're not sure we would have been willing to fight it. Isn't that something? But when you get a year into it and you start looking like that, what are you going to do now? You're going to quit? Well, lots of people do. And a lot of them give up. And when they give up, they die. When you get to that point, if you give up in that battle right there, then the enemy will take you out. But the Lord says here, I am giving you a choice, in verse 15, between prosperity and disaster, between life and death. I have commanded you today to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, his laws, and his regulations by walking in his ways. Now, if you do this, you will live. You will live, if you will do this. And live and become a great nation, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you're about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to accept. Verse 19, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. I call on heaven and earth as to witness the choice you make, oh, that you would choose life, that you and your descendants might live. Choose to love the Lord your God and to obey him and commit yourself to him, for he is your life. Then you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isn't that amazing that it comes down to a choice? When we think about this choice, I want you to look at some New Testament scriptures about what today as children of God, what the will of God is for us as children of God since Jesus has come and paid this price. In 1 John 2, the Lord says, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. Now you see here, he's writing the New Testament to us so that we will not sin. Now if you don't keep this in your heart all the time, you will still sin. It's so easy to sin. So very easy to sin. But I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. Now, just like Dave said a while ago in 1 John 1 9, this is the most important scripture we have once we become children of God. Because as he said, he knew he had missed the mark many times in his own life as a man. I mean, you know, here he is, uh, uh, on up thirty years old or something, and he's uh, not, at that time not been married or anything. He's been to college. He's done all kinds of things. Who knows? Only God and the devil and Dave Rosenfeld knows how many different things he done wrong in all those years. But you look at your own life. How many things did you do wrong? Many. Many. And we have no idea today, even in the church, that the consequences of sin are deadly. They kill and they bring sickness and disease. Who would ever dream that a Yeshua which had not been sick, when she started grumbling, look what started happening. See, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, the Lord says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. How hard is that to do? How hard is that to do? It's very difficult, but we don't realize that will bring sickness and disease upon us because of our grumbling and complaining. It brought it on her, and I've seen many other people, when the Lord says in his word under the new covenant, He said in Philippians 2, he says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Now, you know, if you want to start having sickness, disease, pains, or whatever come upon you, you know, It will happen. It will happen, I guarantee, if you continue to grumble and complain. I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who pleases God completely. Now, if that were only possible for us to do 24-7. But I have never met that person yet, not even close I mean, not even close. I've never even seen any of us that are even come close to that. He is the sacrifice for our sins, and he takes away not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. I mean, I I cannot fathom right now where we are as a nation in America, and how far we have regressed, and how we want to take God out of everything. And everything you turn on, they're wanting to take God out of it. I mean, you drive down the road today, and all the Christmas stuff you see, I mean, you, you, you go to a, to a store, you very rarely ever hear songs that proclaim the name of Jesus. You know, there's just worldly songs. You know, people are not singing about Jesus. Once in a while, you see some things about Jesus. But if you do, there's somebody, some law group trying to take them out of, I mean, trying to take in God we trust off of our money. Well... I really think we ought to take the word, in God we trust, off of our money, and put, in Jesus Christ we trust. That would really create a stir, you know it? Well, he is God, but he's the king. I mean, if you want to really create a stir, you just start talking about Jesus among people. You know, it's amazing what you do. Yesterday, we got on an airplane to come back from Odessa. And there was a little girl standing there. She appeared to be very happy. I mean, she was smiling, just so bubbly. And everybody was walking by. The airplane was full. And I leaned over to her and I said, young lady, do you know Jesus? She said, yes. Boy, I mean, there was no hesitation in her voice. I thought, wow, you really do know the king. She said, yes, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. I thought, wow, praise the king. I run into a live wire here. You know, so that's a good thing. And verse 3 says, and how can we be sure that we belong to Jesus? By obeying his commands. By obeying his commands. If someone says, I belong to God, and doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar and does not live in the truth. But those who obey God's word really do love him. Really do. That is the way to know whether or not we live in him, Those who say that they live in God should live their lives as Christ did. That's where we should live. Once in a while, we make a little mistake. We repent. How many in here this week has not made a mistake? Oh, everybody's hand went up. Nobody's hand went up. Isn't it amazing how easy it is for us to sin? And we know that we can miss it in a heartbeat, don't we, brother? Brother. Aren't we glad we got Jesus, David? Yes, yes, yes. They praise the Lord. 3 John 2, it says, Dear friend, I'm praying that all is well with you and that your body is as healthy as I know your soul is. This is the will of God for us today. He wants our soul and our body to be healthy. Some of the brothers recently returned and, and made me very happy by telling me about your faithfulness and that you're living in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children live in the truth. So, he wants us to be healthy both in our soul, our spirit, and our flesh. John 10 says the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. Now, Jesus' purpose is to give us life in all of its fullness... We're going to have to learn how to walk the walk of faith just like Dave did. We're going to have to learn that if we sin, we open the door for the enemy to come. When we repent, how quick should we repent? Right away. Yeah, don't wait. Right away. I'm glad that the Lord forgives us immediately when we repent. Aren't you? He doesn't hold it against us. When we come to him and repent, he always says, I know, you made a stupid mistake. But I I receive that, and I accept you. Now come back. I am so grateful that he is that kind of a God. But the thief's purpose, which is Satan, is to steal, kill, and destroy. So as we looked at Dave in those pictures a while ago and how bad he looked. I mean, he looked bad. I mean, he smelled bad after about a year I mean, this really took a woman to stay this course with him. I mean, it really took a dedicated spouse. You know, I think about the story about uh, a pastor that I know, and many of you know him, and his name is Dave Reivers. How many know Dave Reivers or or heard of him? Many of you have. You know, when Dave was a good-looking young man, he went to Vietnam just like I did. But he happened to start to throw a phosphorus grenade, and it got shot in his hand. And it blew up right there. Now, it burned holes through his flesh. I mean, into the inside of him. It burned his body. I mean, it killed all kinds of men all around him. And when the guys got there to pick up all these dead soldiers, they picked up Dave and put him him on a uh, little gurney to carry him off. And he literally, was; his body was so hot, he burned the matting out of the gurney and fell on the ground and hit the ground and thud. When he did, he said, oh. And they said, this guy's still alive. They could see inside of him, organs inside his body, where that phosphorus had burned the skin completely off of his body. Holes burned plumb through. So they didn't think he was alive, but he was. And when they took him to the doctor... When they began to go and do surgery on him, where they would uncover those pieces of phosphorus that had went down in the skin seared over and sealed up. That stopped the oxygen so it stopped burning, but white hot cooled in his flesh. And when they would open that up with surgery, that phosphorus would immediately ignite the white hot material inside his flesh. How would you like to go through something like that? No, nobody does. But Dave Reavers went through that. And then, of course, after they spent all that time working on him, getting all that metal out of him and everything, he is burned. He looks awful. And one of the other men was there that didn't look near as bad as he did, but he looked pretty bad. I'm not sure he was with Dave and him. He might have been somewhere else. But anyway, a soldier. He was in the same room. And they flew them back to Japan to a hospital and from Vietnam. And then they flew their wives over there. I believe it was Japan or maybe it was California they flew him back to. But I forget. I think it was Japan. Anyway, when the first man's wife walked in and she looked down and saw her husband and he was so burned and looked so bad, she took her ring off and dropped it on the floor and walked out. A real woman, wasn't she? A real woman. But Dave Reaver's wife, when she walked in, he said after he saw what he saw, he said, I tried to unplug myself so I would die. Because I just knew if my wife saw me and I looked worse than he did. He said, if my wife saw me, I thought well, I can only imagine what she would think. And so fi- he tried to unplug his oxygen, and everything, but nothing would work. God would not let that man die. Some of you may have heard him tell this testimony. And whenever she came in and she looked down, she found a little place on him that was not burned. At least not very bad. The place that had skin on it. And she bent over and kissed him on that and told him how much she loved him. And she said, I will love you forever. And she's still married to him today. And he still looks awful. But he's had a hundred and something surgeries. But he looks a lot better today than he did 30 years ago. He looks awful. It's obvious she didn't marry him for what she saw. She married him for the inter-man that he was. What a woman. Wouldn't you say? What a woman. It took a real woman. I mean, she was a real woman. But he says... Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, that's what the king did for you and me so we could receive these healings that we need. So that we could walk free of sickness and disease, the king lay down his life for you and me so we could walk in obedience to his word. He said, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will leave the sheep because they aren't his and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired man runs away because he is merely hired and has no real concern for the sheep. But Jesus had real concern for us, the sheep. I mean, I've seen two or three movies lately during this Christmas season on the Christian channels, or at least seen pieces of them. I've not had time to sit down and watch any one particular movie but I've sat and watched pieces of them at different times of the night whenever I turn on the television on TVN or Daystar. And until I had seen The Passion, I had never seen a movie that did justice to what I think Jesus did for you and me on the cross. All the rest of them show a little bit, but they don't show hardly anything. I mean, he's not beaten very bad, and he's not bruised very bad, but The Passion showed it like it probably was as close as it really was. But he did that for you and me. And of course, I was watching one the other night where they were beating him and he even had his robe on and they beat him with a row bone, and they didn't hit him but four or five times. Two different men and that's all there was. And hey, that was not the way it was. They beat Jesus with those cat-o'-nine-tails till he was unrecognizable as a human being. I mean... You can't even go there. We cannot, as human beings, even go to the pain that he suffered. I mean, you just can't go there. And then in the First John 3, verse 7, he says, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it is because they are righteous. Even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil. You keep on sinning. Keep on living in sin, whatever it is. If you continue in it, continue in it day in and day out, you're not God's. I mean, I I don't know how many people I've seen and come to church and talk to me about their daughter or their son or whatever, and say, well, you know, Thurman, I, my son, he came down, he made Jesus Lord of his life. And then he came to church pretty good until he got out of high school and went to college. And now he wouldn't darken. I haven't seen him darken the church door in 10 years. And he's constantly sleeping around with other girls. And he's lying. And he's on drugs. And he's alcohol. And he's doing all those things. Mm. The scripture says that boy does not know Jesus. If he dies in that, he's in a critical shape. But only God knows his real heart. I don't know that. But from the scripture, it appears he's not a believer. Scary, isn't it? It really is scary. The consequences of dying and going to hell is beyond our wildest dreams also. We, we don't hear enough about that wicked place where the worm does not die. If we could think about that, it'll bring us back to reality. We repent of our sins and ask God to forgive us and we get back on track. But it says, well, when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who has been sinning from the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not sin. Now, that's quite a a statement. I mean, don't sin. I mean, the Scripture literally says do not sin. But when I checked that out and really read it in detail, it says we don't practice sinning. We don't practice sinning. We can still make a mistake, unfortunately, but we don't continue to practice that sin. In other words, you don't go out and lie to somebody today, and tomorrow you lie, and this afternoon you lie. And then uh, in the morning, you're telling a lie. And, you know, constantly, if you're constantly living in that kind of a lie, you don't know Jesus. You know, at least he says you don't know him. Then he says, those who have been born into God's family do not sin because God's life is in them. I will have to say that the Holy Spirit is screaming at us when we do start to make a statement about sinning. He's there saying, that's not me. That's not me. You know what you're doing is not right. And he'll convict us and then we will try our best to get right with the Lord. So, so he says, they can't, so they can't keep on sinning because they have been born of God. You know, when you sin, now you open a door to the devil. But just like a Yesha said there a while ago, when she opened a door to the devil with her grumbling, when she asked the Lord to forgive her, then when she started standing on his word, what happened to her problem? It got healed, didn't it? But did he get healed overnight? No, it took a while. It took a while. This is the thing about God. He will allow us to see his healing power, sometimes lots of it, you know, quickly. But then he expects us to know he's God and that he expects us to walk holy before him. And then when we do something like that, like knowing that we're not supposed to grumble and complain, and yet she got into the grumbling and complaining... It opened the door, and she got bitten by a spider and got way down. And then finally the Holy Spirit revealed her what the problem was, and she repented. But then it took a while for that thing to go away, too. But see, there again, once you repent of your sin, you say, Lord, I'm sorry. Now, I thank you for restoring me. I mean, some other things Dave didn't tell you, that just last week or week before last when I asked him to begin to prepare to tell this testimony at a healing school, guess immediately what the devil tried to do to him. Put some of this stuff back on him. Isn't that amazing? I mean, some of the symptoms began to come back immediately. when I said, Dave, now that you're completely, totally healed, and have been for quite a while, I want you to give a testimony. And almost immediately, the devil started putting these symptoms back on him. He said, he's not healed. I'm going to show you he's not healed. Well, Dave rose up. Yes, I am. Out of here, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus. And, of course, he left. So you can't yield to the devil. If you, if you yield to what you see, he will beat us every time as Christians. You absolutely cannot yield to these signs and these symptoms. If sickness and disease comes upon you, the first thing you need to do is repent. Lord, I repent. And then once you repent, the devil has no more legal right. And then start driving him out. Now, as many of you have heard me tell my testimony about how I sinned one time in just a speech, a little word, and how I'd opened the door and a devil came into me instantly and made me sick. I mean, I didn't have time to repent. I mean, when I when I made that little statement, I mean, uh, about trusting my company instead of the Lord as my provider, I mean, I mean, in one heartbeat, I was sick. I didn't have time to repent. I mean, I was... I was totally, completely well, and the next breath, I am. Got it, I have a splitting headache with sinus fluid running out of my nose like a river. I mean, it happened just like that. Well, I did repent. I knew then what I had done, and I repented, but it took me three days and nights until the fourth day, to actually the fourth morning was I finally drove out that devil. I had to get, I had to get violent with him to drive him away. See, when you open the door through sin, he's there to get you, you know, and he knows where your faith level is. He knows what your faith walk is. He knows about your obedience to God. And I'm completely convinced the further up that line or that ladder you get in walking in obedience to God's word, the bigger the devil's that attacked you. I mean, you know, when you're just a, like I used to be years ago, a little insignificant nobody in the Baptist church that didn't know nothing about the word of God. The devil didn't care nothing about me. I, I was no threat to him. You know, I didn't know nothing about God's word. I'd never even seen a prayer answered. So why should he be afraid of me? He could come by and holler boo and I'd jump 40 feet high. You know, I didn't have a clue who I was. And that's what's wrong with us today in the church. We don't know who we are. But now then, he's got some really good ones watching me. He's trying his best to destroy me. But he'll do the same thing to you. He's no respecter of persons. He just wants to steal, kill, and to destroy. And like I learned a long time ago, when you go to battle, you want some well-trained men. You know, I think if they had taken me as a young man, although I was a mechanic and a farmer and worked on the farm and was in good physical shape and everything else, If they would inducted me into the military and flew me over to Vietnam and give me a parachute and give me a gun and a a backpack and said, Here, son, jump out and we'll put a D-ring on here so at least the parachute will open for you. And then you drift down there and then you got a war on your hands down there. In Vietnam, you know how long I would have lasted? Minutes. I might not have never hit the ground alive. You know, that's how inexperienced I was. But they didn't send me over there like that. They trained me First. Then they sent me over there. And praise the Lord, I was able to live through that mess. There was a few times you wonder. It's just like, you know, when you have to go through those kind of things. I was talking to a a man last night uh, on the phone in Florida. And while I was talking to him, he said he used to work for Lester Roloff and down in the girls' school. And he said, Thurman, I've heard you say that God has spoken to you several times. But he said, I heard his voice one time. But said, that day I heard it clear. He said, I remember exactly where I was when the Lord spoke to me and called my name and told me. I said, I want you and your wife to go to Florida and start a girl's home. And so he said, I thought, Lord, you want me and my wife to go to Florida to start a girl's home? I mean, he said, I see the problem we have here with this one. You know, so he said, I thought, how am I going to break this news to my wife? So he said, I'm not a kind of guy that normally takes my wife out to dine and all this kind of stuff. So I come home that evening and I said, honey, uh, how would you like to go out to dinner tonight at a pretty nice restaurant? And she looked at him and thought, okay, I'd love it. So he said, we go out, we get dressed up, and we go out to this fairly nice restaurant. We have a lovely dinner. And he's just talking small talk. And so we get in the car, we drive down the beach. And we pull out there and he says, let's take a walk in the moonlight on the beach. So she said, we get out and we're walking along there. And all of a sudden she looks at him and she says, okay, what's this all about? You ain't never done this before. Now yeah, you take me to dinner. Now you got me walking on the beach. you got me looking at the moonlight. What do you got on your mind, Buster? <laughs> he said, honey, i got something i got to tell you. He said, the Lord spoke to me and told me, we're supposed to go to Florida and start a girls' home, you and me. She, looked, she said, well, okay, if God told you to do that, we'll do it. Now, see, there's a good woman. You know, some women would have said, I ain't going. I have seen pastors' wives that I know personally that did that. When the pastor was told to go, some of the wives said, I'm not going with you. Well, that, her job was to go with her husband. But some of them don't. But this one did. But he said, we got down there and started this girl's home. And said he said, we, the girls we have in those homes are not nice girls. Some of them are mean. Some of them are prostitutes. I mean, some of them have, have, are on drugs, alcohol, and everything else. And he said, you have no idea, Thurman, how many times my wife come walking in my office and planted her fleet on the floor and said, are you sure you heard from God. Can you only imagine that? Sure you can. I mean, here she's being put to the test. I mean, how many things you know that God sends you to do that don't have trials and tests, huh? All of them do, don't they? But see, it makes you wonder. Did God really tell us to do this? If he'd have done this, surely he'd have made this easier. Not necessarily. He puts you to the test to find out what you're made out of. He tries us. Wow. Then in James chapter one, verse twenty-two, in James one, twenty-two it says, and remember, this message is a message to obey. A message to obey. Of course, in James he talks a lot about the tongue and these trials and tests in chapter one and chapter three. But in chapter one twenty two says, and remember, it is a message to obey, not just to listen to. Which means every one of us, as children of God, have to listen and obey these commands of God in His Word, if we want to walk in divine health and with a long life. If you don't obey, if you do not obey, you are only fooling yourself. For if you just listen and don't obey, it is like looking at your face in a mirror but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself walk away and you forget what you look like. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law, the law that sets you free... And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Everybody wants to be blessed, don't they? But see, you've got to do it God's way. You have to do these things, God. You've got to get away from sin and you've got to start obeying the Word of God. Now, in the process of obeying God's law, I can guarantee you there will be days... That every one of us will yield to the enemy. He knows what our weakness is. He knows exactly what mine are. You think he knows what yours are? Absolutely. No doubt in your mind, is there? Yeah. And something that will be something that would be a weakness to you might not be a weakness to me at all. There is some things the devil couldn't get me on. I mean I mean, when it comes to drinking, smoking, uh, profanity, uh, taking drugs, and those kind of things, you know, that's that's so far from me. But he does know what my weaknesses are. And I have several, but I don't know anybody in here that doesn't. I mean, just like food. And Food's not my weakness, you know. I can take it or leave it, it makes no difference to me. I've never had a problem. I worked in a food establishment for years and the most beautiful, wonderful foods all over the place. I could have eaten anything I wanted to, as much of it as it was all free. And I worked there for 29 years, never gained a pound. Why? Because I didn't ever overeat. When I went in, I sat down and I'd eat a light breakfast, you know, or maybe a real light meal in the afternoon and maybe another real light meal in the afternoon. But if I got on the scales... And I usually did this two or three, four times a week. I step up on the scales, if I'm one or two pounds overweight, hey, I stopped eating so much. I cut back and only eat about half what I'd been eating before until I was right back where I wanted to be and I have maintained this body weight nearly sixty seven years you know and i'm and I love being this weight, you know you might say, well, I want to be what I am. That's okay. You can be anywhere you want to, you know, but personally me. You know, I want to be where I am in my body weight, so that's what I'm going to do to stay there. Somebody else said, well, I don't care if I get overweight or not. Well, that's fine. I don't care if you get overweight or not either. You know, it's your decision to make, you know. But every one of us have things that tempt us. And some people, when it comes to food, just like some people can't get around somebody that's smoking or drinking. They've got to have a cigarette with them, and they've got to drink a beer with them. Some people cannot overcome those things. That's where your weakness is, and the devil will butt you right there, and he'll see to it that you over-drink or overeat or over-smoke, and those things will all eventually make you sick and afflict you. We had a man here a few months ago that his wife brought him from Amarillo and pushed him in, in a wheelchair before the healing school started, and he had just had surgery, had come out of the hospital, and before they came home, or was going home, brought him by here for me to pray for him, and this guy was 60 years old. He couldn't walk. He was in a wheelchair. His wife was pushing him around everywhere. And I asked him, I said, how have you abused your body? You've just had this surgery. What happened? He said, I have lung cancer. I said, were you a smoker? He said, "He'd anywhere from two to four packs a day for the last 30 years. Had he abused his body, David? Sure. Yeah. Whose choice was it to do that every day? His. He made the wrong choice. And he, did he pay the... See, the devil knew what his weakness was. Oh, I'll just have another cigarette. It ain't going to hurt you. Oh, yeah. He was just about ready. to He couldn't hardly even hold himself up. You know? I mean, he was so weak. And I thought, here he is. Sixty years old. Sixty years old. This guy to be up dancing a jig. at sixty. But he can't. He couldn't walk or nothing. He's down. Because he had abused his body with nicotine. So the devil knows what your weakness is. My dad's weakness. That was my dad's weakness, too. He smoked all of his life. All of his life. So, it caused him to have lung cancer and had to take out part of his lungs. And There's a consequence to abusing your flesh. Of course, back in those days, I didn't have enough faith to know how to pray for Dad anyway. So, you know, I I didn't know anything about these things back in those days. Now then, in Romans 6, this freedom to obey God. Here again, just like in the Old Testament we read over in Exodus and Deuteronomy a while ago, he gave us under the old law the freedom to make the choices. He said, if you make the right choice, you'll live a long, healthy life. If you make the wrong choice, it'll bring death and destruction and disaster and, and uh, poverty upon you. But he gave them the choice. Well, in Romans 6, we find out today he gives us, as children of God, this same choice. Now, in Romans 6:15, he gives us the freedom to obey... It says, so since God's grace has set us free from the law and praise the Lord for that grace has set us free from that law, does this mean we can go on sinning? Now, of course not. Absolutely not. If there is a reason why we should not sin, it's because of what Jesus paid the price for us on the cross. So, we should not want to sin. He says, of course not. And then he says in verse 16, don't you realize that Whatever you choose to obey becomes your master. Whatever you choose. In other words, if I choose alcohol, if I choose sex out of wedlock, if I choose profanity, if I choose nicotine, if I choose drugs, and of course a multitude of people today are choosing these things. They're choosing them. He says, don't you realize that Whatever you choose to obey, it becomes your master. I mean, how how many people do I see and minister to on a regular basis that say they're Christians that are hung up on some of these sins? And they're doing them every day. Every day. They're doing these things. Well, it's going to bring some kind of a result that you're not going to like. Because the Lord says... If you choose sin, in other words, you you have this privilege, you can choose sin, which leads to death. Now, then, in the process of leading to death, what can sin do? Well, I think about one of Cheryl's favorite stories about the lady in New Orleans, not New Orleans, in Louisiana, the woman that was in her early 60s that was in a wheelchair. And when I went down there to minister to these people... We found out that this woman had been in a wheelchair two years. And two years before that, she's in and out of the wheelchair. She's getting weaker and weaker. And then finally, for the last two years, she can't do nothing except just ride around in a wheelchair. And they brought her to church in a wheelchair that night. After service was over, when I ministered to her, I asked her, was she married? And she says, no. My husband died about five years ago. I said, okay. I said, were you perfectly normal? all the time your husband was alive she said oh yeah i mean i was perfectly normal i could do anything and i said well how long after your husband died did you start getting weaker well she said "Well, a year year and a half two years and she said then it just got worse and worse and i had to have a wheelchair uh, shortly within about a year or year and a half after he died i started having to have a wheelchair a little bit and then it got worse and worse and by the time uh, about three years had gone by after he died i had to be in a wheelchair, and said the last two years I've been confined to it. I can't go nowhere, can't walk without a wheelchair. I said, what kind of sin did you get involved in after your husband died? She said, what do you mean? I said, well, you're a woman and you're living alone. Did you get involved in some kind of sex sin? And she said, what? I said, have you had sex since your husband died with somebody that you're not married to? You're not married now, are you? She said, no. He said, well, these are very personal questions. I said, I know. I know. But God knows everything. So I said, have you had sex with anybody since your husband died? She said, well, yeah. I said, okay. I said, and when did it start? Well, she said, a few months after my husband died, the meter reader come by. I said, I got very lonely. I'm sitting out on the porch. I don't have nothing to do. And he comes by, and I invite him in for a cup of tea, and we talk. I just want a companion to talk to. I mean, she's by herself now. Had a husband all those years. Forty years she was married to this guy. And then he died. And so it wasn't long till they got friendly enough that, you know, they're in bed together. Well, you know, a little bit of fun for a few minutes. And he goes on reads the rest of the meters. Nobody knows. But God and the devil. And slowly but surely, every time she commits that sex sin, she opens that door to that devil. And her flesh starts being eroded away. And she starts getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Now, she's still having sex with this guy. She's not married to him, maybe once a month, maybe twice a month at most, she said. But she said, you know, I, mostly I just want friendship. And he comes by and we talk. and, and then, But she said, we nearly always wind up in bed together before he leaves. So she didn't see a thing wrong with it, you know. But I told her, I said, that's sin. I said, now, God says if you make this choice, it'll bring forth death. And she said, boy, I never heard that before. But I said, you know, God also says if you will repent and make even a promise, you stop. He promises to heal you. You talk about a merciful God. I mean, he's merciful, but I'm so grateful. And I know many of us in here are too. Because she repented that night and asked the Lord to forgive her. And I asked the Lord to heal her and restore her right then. And I reached down, took her hand, and told her to stand up and walk. And that woman walked off that night. She went home that night walking. And a year later, I was down there, and she was still completely normal. When I saw her, and she was come walking in church, and I walked up to her just bold-faced. And I said, you ain't sinned no more since I left, have you? She said, no, sir, I certainly have not. Or when you learn there's a consequence to sin, you stop doing it. You know, so many people have no idea. You know, like I heard Doctor Dodson say here a while back. I was riding down the road listening to his show, and he's talking about what percentage of the young people today are contacting various venereal diseases. He said they're on the, on, they're they're just wild. He said there's more of them having venereal disease than ever before in history. Why is that? How do you get a venereal disease? Sex outside of wedlock. How many people do you know that got married together, that kept themselves clean and pure, and lived together 40, 50, 60 years, and had all the sex they wanted, and never had a venereal disease? You ever know anybody that had one? No. As long as it's between a man and a woman married together, God says, no problem. I made it, and I made it for you to enjoy. But he said, I didn't make it for you to enjoy with somebody else. You're to be married to that person. If you're not, it will bring something upon your life that you do not like. The devil will see to it. But it says, don't you realize there that whoever you choose to obey becomes your master? You can choose sin, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God and receive his approval. Now, when you start choosing sin, it will start bringing some kind of weakness or sickness or disease or torment into your life. It will bring sickness and disease of some kind. And there's so many kinds. I mean, and and if you haven't read the curses, they've read just a few of them a while ago. But when you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and you read verse 15 through 65, if you can read all of that. Without making yourself sick, you're better than me. I can't stand to read those. I mean, Deuteronomy 20, verses 15 through 65, he lays out every kind of sin you can imagine. Just like he said, that's where he got those about the itch that cannot be healed. You know, the weeping skin and all this. All this is under the curse. Now, somewhere back in Dave's family line, somewhere, there was a lot of this sickness and disease. And who knows who did what years before that brought that curse upon that family. And nobody ever learned how to be redeemed from the curse until Dave. He finally learned it. And when he learned it, then he, you notice that he was not going to bring a baby into the world because all the last few generations which had had this, now then when he finds out I can be healed and I am being healed Now then, him and his wife decide to have a baby. And when that little guy comes into the world, he don't have this disease. He is totally, because Dave has learned now how that he is redeemed from the curse. And I mean, if any little thing, we can be sitting there in the ministry center and he can behold him or somebody else can behold him. And just a little tiny bubble in a nose or something come by. He said, well, devil, out of here in the name of Jesus. You ain't going to put no cold on my son in the name of Jesus. I mean, he attacks that beast right then. I mean, I mean, he can just start getting fussy. He can just start getting fussy. And, and the devil said, no, out of here, you devil. I mean, don't scream. He said, out of here, you devil. You're not going to come in here. You're not going to do this to my son. You're not going to stir him up now. We're walking obedience to God's law. So in the name of Jesus, you go away. And he just quiets right down and gets nice. Isn't it amazing how the devil comes in to do all these things to us, And he comes by to put these trials and tests upon us. And since he's invisible, we don't even know he's doing it. And he'll come in and try his best to put you to the test, even when you're walking in obedience to God's word. He'll do everything he can to destroy you, even when you are walking in obedience to the word. Now, if you're not walking in obedience to the word, he has a heyday with us. He comes right in to get us. The Lord says there, you can choose sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey and receive his approval. Thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you have obeyed with all your hearts the new teaching God has given you. Now you are free from sin, your old master, and you have become slaves to your new master, which is righteousness. I wish that was true for all of the church. You know, if we were slaves to righteousness, everybody that professes to be a Christian, yes how many of them would be in church tomorrow? All of, All of them. That's exactly right. We would be there. We would be reading the Word. We would be the spiritual leaders we're supposed to be. We would be doing what we're supposed to be doing. In verse 19, he says, I speak this way using the illustration of slaves and masters because it is easy to understand. Before you let yourselves be slaves of impurity and lawlessness. How many people do we know that live there today? I mean, you can just go out there and there's sickness and disease and all kinds of stuff and car wrecks out there and everything. It says, now you must choose to be slaves of righteousness so that you will become holy. In those days when you were slaves of sin, you were concerned with doing You were not concerned with doing what is right. And what was the results? It was not good. It brought sickness and disease upon you. Since now you are ashamed of the things you need to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and you have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that's talking about right now today in the flesh. When we continue to live in sin, this will bring this sickness and disease upon us, just like it did Dave, just like it did Ayesha. I mean, by trying to stand, they have the most powerful testimony because as they try to stand together, when she got into a state of grumbling and complaining, I'll be if it didn't bring sickness and disease upon her too. Now we've got two of them need to be healed. And it took her a while to realize what she was doing wrong. And how many times do we see that in the home between a man and a woman? When that strife comes, instead of repenting and get right with each other, they go their own ways and continue to stay in that state. And it brings who knows what kind of devastation to their home. We are to obey and do all of the Word of God and not to pick and choose. You can't pick and choose. Wow, it's already 3.15. Okay, we had such a good testimony and everything. Since it's 3.15, we're going to stop right there and give you all a 15-minute break or something so you can go to the bathroom, do all the things, get you some water or whatever. And then in about 20 minutes or so, we'll come back and we'll hit the promises of God this afternoon that we can stand on to do what Dave did to receive our healing and walk in divine health. Praise the Lord. Uh, you all are dismissed for a few minutes and uh, uh, do whatever you want to do. And then we'll start over in 15 or 20 minutes. Privilege to study your word about healing. We thank you, Lord, that we know that you're the Savior. But now, Lord, we're learning you're the healer and that you're everything And you provide us with everything. And I want to thank you and praise you for your healing power, which to us, your children today, is guaranteed to every one of us every time if we'll only repent of our sins and stand on your word. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, somebody asked me a question about my favorite word up here, sozo. S-O-Z-O. So I might talk about that a little bit. Uh, I have made an outline, I didn't bring it with me today, but I have an outline that I've done a search on the word sozo, and I might tell you a little bit of how that word is the word that set me free. Now, the very first song that Cheryl wrote was Sozo Me, Lord, and that's the title of our CD, Sozo Me, Lord. So, what that word means, now, uh, sozo in the Greek is translated into English, Text when you read it, if you read numbers, if you read a Greek New Testament, every time you come to one of these words—saved, healed, made whole, delivered, or preserved—in the Greek, it would be the same word, sozo. But when they translated it, they translated it to fit the the sentence, the whatever they were talking about, where they were talking about deliverance from demons. Or where they were talking about healing, or even a couple of places, it's even translated health. But the, what I was doing a, a word study one night, and I was in such a very well-known scripture uh, that is for Baptist. Baptist, we have some scriptures that we know very well. We may not know what they mean, but we at least we studied the Word of God to a degree. When I was reading, after I got high-speed computers, uh, y'all remember the 4 megahertz green green screen mean machine? You know, some of you may be too young to even remember that. (laughs) But, you know, when we first got those machines, uh, they had to come out with some software, some Bible software. And now then, I can look up a lot of stuff. And so I had three or four translations of the Bible, plus the Hebrew and Greek dictionaries and commentaries and all this stuff on screen at the same time well one night i'd pulled up and i was just reading and come to romans chapter 10 and of course if you've ever been a baptist and you ever led anybody to jesus everybody ever led anybody to jesus that were baptist knows romans 10 8 9 and 10. but what does it say the word is nigh thee is even in your mouth and in your heart the word of faith that we preach That if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you will believe in your heart the Father raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what it says. Now, where is that word for salvation? It also is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. But everything is in your mouth and in your heart. Whenever you confess by faith that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior... When you confess it with your mouth, if it comes from your heart, you're born again. You're a child of God. You're saved right there. Well, that night when I read that, of course, I knew that scripture. I had committed that to memory years ago. But that night, I had a divine appointment with God. Little did I know when I clicked on the word saved for some strange reason, I reached over and clicked on the word save. That was the end of the sentence, the end of the statement. And I just moved over there and clicked on it. When I did, it automatically pulled in over in the Greek in that Romans 10. It pulled in that same verse and it highlighted the word "sozo." And I thought saved is sozo in the Greek. And then all of a sudden I looked down in the Greek dictionary definition of the word Sozo was down there, and it says in English, this word means saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. I thought, how unique that is. So I moved over on the word sozo, and I said, computer, do me a quick search on the word sozo. Bam. It says it's used 120 times in 103 different verses in the Greek New Testament. I thought, wow. God said in his word, let everything be confirmed out of the mouths of two or three witnesses. So if he put this thing in here 120 times, he must plan for me to know what it means. You know, I mean, you tell your wife something once, or I must put it this way, she tells you once, maybe you get it. But if she tells you twice, she expects you to hear her. But if she speaks a third time, she really means for you to hear her. See, I've been a husband a long time too. See, I know what's going on here. Sometimes we don't hear our wives. When they talk, they say things and we don't hear them. Any of you guys have the problem I have? Some of y'all don't have to hold up your hand. You don't have to condemn yourself. But that happens to all of us. But... If God said in his word that I put this word in here 120 times, I plan for you to know it's very important. Well, I thought, wow, 120 times in 103 verses. Let me go right back over here to Matthew where the very first one was. And, of course, it highlighted all these scriptures. I went to the very top one. I highlighted it and it took me straight to it in the book of Matthew. And I read it. And then I clicked the next and the next and the next, and so for the next several hours, I spent several hours reading every verse in the Greek New Testament that said the so, had the word sozo in it. One time he would be talking about someone getting saved, one time someone being healed, someone being made whole, someone delivered, or someone being preserved, and all these. And a couple of times even was translated health. I didn't even add that one in there since it was only in there a couple of times. But, you know, those are the five primary ones that it's written. So after I read all of those that had diligently sought the Lord in that, I said, Lord. I mean, you know, when you talk to the Lord, sometimes you don't realize he's there. You know, but I said, Lord, I'm sitting right there and I'm looking at my computer screen. I said, Lord, if what I've learned tonight is true, You not only saved me on that cross 2,000 years ago, but you healed me on that cross 2,000 years ago. You delivered me from the devil 2,000 years ago. You made me whole and preserved me on that cross 2,000 years ago. You've given me everything. And I said, Lord, if that's true, then why in the world have I been sick so many times since I was eleven? Because at 11, I accepted you as my Lord and Savior. But from 11 till 40-something, I've been sick a bunch. I've been down in my back at least a half a dozen times. I mean, I've been down in the hospital or, or laying on a bed. I had a lot of back trouble. And, you know... I had lots of other trouble, and colds and flus and pneumonia. I had double pneumonia a couple of times. And, you know, then after I got through the double pneumonia, I coughed for six months. If I rolled over my back at night to sleep, immediately when I rolled over my back, I'd go to coughing and gagging and have to get up. And I didn't have a clue Jesus was my healer. I mean, I'm a Christian, but I don't have a clue what belongs to me. I've had so much sickness and disease, but I mean, everybody else does too. So why should it be anything except normal? I mean, you know, who do you know in church that hadn't had the flu? Nobody, you know. But I had it just like everybody else. In fact, you know, you could walk in. You know, you could see, Brother David, how you doing this morning? You look a little red under the eyes, brother. You sure you ain't coming down the flu or something? You ever said that to one of your brothers in church? Sure. I did those dumb things till I knew that I was speaking a curse over my brother. But I quit doing it when I learned. But that night I'm saying, Lord, I don't understand this. If what I'm reading in this book is true, I should have been healed when I accepted you as my Lord and Savior at 11. I should have been healed right there, and I should have never been sick again, according to this book. I said, Lord, why have I been sick so many times since I was 11, if this is true? And he spoke to me just as clear as a bell. And he said, Son, you have never received me as your healer by faith in my word. I said, Lord, I mean, I heard that audible just like I heard it just then. I said, Lord, I have to do everything by faith? He said, that's the only way you can have it. Does that line up with the word? Sure. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith it's impossible to please the king. But to them that believe that he is, and he is a rewarder, of them that diligently seek him. When you begin to learn he is your God, he is your Lord, And when you walk in obedience to his word and you study, he put all the information in there. There's not anything missing out of God's word that you and me need for a prosperous and healthy long life. Not one single thing. But guess what? You have to get in it and dig it out. And it's not easy. I mean, you know, study the Bible. Oh, who can understand the Bible? I read the Bible once and I didn't learn nothing. Well, first thing you need to do is get saved. When you really get saved, then you need to get in and need to pray over that book, and you need to start digging in that book like you really mean business. I mean, you know, and that's something that's not easy to do. I mean, the day you come to the Bible and say, Okay, Lord, today I'm going to start in the book of Matthew. I'm going to open this thing up, and I'm going to start reading right here. And you start reading, and I mean, you're on fire, and it's four o'clock in the afternoon, and you've been working all day, and you're just, I mean, your heart's pumping 90 miles an hour, and you sit down there, and you read a half a chapter, and all of a sudden, you catch yourself doing. What's wrong with me? I wasn't sleepy at all. I mean, my blood is pumping 90 miles an hour. I mean, I ain't sleepy. What's wrong with me? You read another verse, and your head drops that. Any of y'all ever had that problem? That old devil put that spirit of slumber on you, he'll put you to sleep in a heartbeat. You start reading the Bible, won't he? Sure. Everybody in here probably has had that problem. Well, you've got to rebuke that devil and drive him away. And then you've got to say, Lord, keep me awake. Open this scripture to me. Give me spiritual understanding, revelation, knowledge, and understanding from this word as I read it. I want to know who you are. And he says, oh, you're serious about this, are you? Yep, I'm serious, Lord. He said, okay, good. We got something going here now. We got something going here. If you want to really be serious with me, just hang in there and keep going and I will show you things that you know not, he says. And you begin to read. You begin to study. And so that night, when I got this about the word sozo, when he told me that I had never received him by faith, As my healer. Man, I fell out as a Southern Baptist. I fell on my knees on that floor. I raised my hands. I said, Lord, I see it. You're not only the Savior of the world, you're the healer of the world. And now you're my healer. So, Lord, I am receiving you as my healer. Now then, Lord, you said if I'm willing to confess with my mouth and believe with my heart, I'm saved. So that same word, I'm converting that word sozo to healer. Now, if I'm willing to confess with my mouth, you're my healer, then I'm healed. I'm made whole, I'm delivered. Praise God, I ain't gonna be sick never again, no more, ever in my life, in Jesus' name. Well, what's the first thing you're supposed to do when you get saved? Supposed to walk in and see your brother and say, hey brother, I just got saved last night. I made Jesus Lord of my life. Is that what Jesus tells us to do? That's what He tells us to do. Well, now, if you just received Him as your healer, what are you supposed to do there? You walk in and say, hey, praise God, last night I accepted Jesus Christ as my healer. I found it in the Word. I ain't never going to be sick again. Some people will tell you exactly what they tell you when you said you got saved. They say, yeah, we'll find out if you're out sinning again next week. <laughs> Come on, let's go back down to the bar with me this week. You know, you went to church and got to feeling good last night. But, you know, let's go over here and watch some dirty movies. Let's go down here to a, an old dirty show or something. And, you know, let's do this. And you say, no, 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 I ain't doing that no more. Now then, if you do it with them one time, they say, you hypocrite, I thought you got saved. You went down to church, you didn't get nothing. That devil, he'll do it to you, you know it? Sure he will, he's smart. Well, when I walked in the next day at my workplace and come running in the back door while I went up that stairs at the back And I walked into that computer room where all those men and women was. And I said, praise God. Y'all are looking at a man that received Jesus Christ as his healer last night. And I ain't never going to be sick again. How do you think that went over, brother? (laughs) Just like that. That's exactly what they did to me. Exactly. They laughed at me. Oh, Thurman, come on. You've always been a religious fanatic. But now you've dropped off the deep end. You know everybody's going to be sick again. I said, you can be sick if you want to. But Jesus, I learned last night, the word so-so, it means he healed me 2,000 years ago. And I received him as my healer. And from this day forth, I am never going to have another sick day in the name of Jesus. And it sure has worked good for a little over 20 years. Not one sick day in a little over 20 years. Is that an awesome thing to find? Oh, man. It's awesome to find that and learn it. But just like like Dave and I, we get a real big joke, uh, you know, whenever... He didn't really stand up in the crowd that day. Whenever I said, you know, I guarantee anybody that will come to Jesus and repent and do what this book says, I guarantee you can get healed. Dave, in his spirit, he wanted to stand up and say, you can't guarantee that. So he thought, okay, this guy's an engineer. He's an engineer. He said he knew some pretty good stuff about engineering. So... I'm going to go over and see if he knows anything about the Bible. So he come over here and started listening to me. And he said, you know what this guy said saying, what my Bible says, the same thing. So I guess I better get started repenting of all my sins. So he started repenting of his sins and started standing on the word. And you all got to see the results. He got through that awesome time of testing. Wow. I mean, that will separate the men from the boys. I mean the girls from the women. That is a test that that couple went through for nearly a year and a half. It was an awful test. So praise God. But when you stand on the word and claim the promises and make them personal to you, the king loves you enough to allow you to be put to the test. But in the process of being put to the test, he'll heal you. Every time he'll heal you, providing you don't waver. Now, you can't waver. You've got to stand on these promises. In fact, I got tickled at Dave. I don't know where it was, and I don't know who it was. He never told me, and the person might be here today. I don't know. But I tell the story, and it doesn't make any difference. It goes to show that how little faith we have. Because after he got really looking bad at eight or ten months, six, eight months, whatever it was, he was still coming to church, but he looked pretty bad. And he'd usually have to stand in the back because he couldn't sit down. So he'd be standing back there and people would see him. And so after church, there was a guy or a person. I don't know, man or woman. I don't know who it was. He never told me. I don't want to know.
1: But a person that goes to church here that hears me.
0: See, we don't really believe the word, do we? No, we don't. You're right, brother. We don't believe these promises of God. Now then, let's go to some promises here. And I'm going to show you that it is God's will to heal you. Just like some of these scriptures here. And I want to show you that these scriptures also reveal to us the nature of God. And also reveal to us his attitude towards sin, sickness, and disease. Now... The Bible says, first of all, in the mouths of two or three witnesses, let every word be established, and that's in that's one of those places is in Matthew 18:16. Now, in Matthew 18:16, the Scripture says, "But if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more, that in the mouths of two or three witnesses every word may be established." Now, we don't never take the word of one person, do we? We should not. I mean, if Can you only imagine the heyday that somebody could do to you if somebody says, you know, this man committed this act, and I'm the only one that saw him do it. And I'm the only witness, and they take my word. And he said, I don't know who this guy is. I definitely didn't do that. I was never even there. And they said, we're going to believe him instead of you. We're going to put you in prison because of what he said. This would be a sad state of affairs if we got to where we could believe the witness of one person against another, wouldn't it? Yep, yep, that's uh, something, but we do that, but it should be two witnesses. The Lord says, two or three witnesses, every word should be established. So, let's look at three scriptures that confirms what God's will is for healing. Let's look at these. Now, in Isaiah 53, 4, in Isaiah 53, 4, the Lord says here under the old law, He was talking about the coming Savior that was going to come. In Isaiah 53, 4, it said, Surely He has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, those two words in the Hebrew, when you go and check out those two words, you'll find out those two words mean pain and sickness. Pain and sickness. So, surely He has borne our pain and carried our sickness. But in English, they translated those two words in the Hebrew to mean grief and sorrows. But grief and pain could be the same thing. If you've got a lot of pain, you've got some grief. You know, but it makes more sense to us when we hear it translated. Many other times that same Hebrew word is translated in the English Bible and is translated pain. So, this is where, by having the scripture on a computer with all these Hebrew and Greek stuff, you can go back through and check and look at all this stuff. And you can see how it's translated many times. And he's carried our sorrows or our sickness. And yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. That's good news, isn't it? Now, that was written 700 years, over 700 years before Jesus came. The prophet Isaiah is telling us about the coming Messiah and what he's going to do for you and me in the future. That he's going to take all of our griefs and sickness and, and all of our iniquities, all of our transgressions and everything and the chastisement of our peace was on, on him. And with his stripes, we are healed. It's amazing, you know, what the Lord has put in this book all these years in advance. And so, then we go to Matthew eight seventeen in the New Testament, and in the New Testament it is saying, "This is what was written or spoken by Isaiah the prophet." Verse seventeen and back verse sixteen says, "When evening was come, they brought to him many that were possessed with demons." Many that were possessed with demons. Now see, when you read that too, you think, well, now these people were possessed, so they was totally controlled by demons. But that's not what that means either. When you read that in the Greek, you'll find out that these people were demonized. There's not a human being in the church today that's not demonized. There is demons that come by us on a regular basis that torment us and afflict us and cause us to do all kinds of silly stupid things how many of you how many of you are in total control of yourself all of the time and never fly off the handle never do anything never say anything rash never walk totally in love 24 7 you show me a person like that can you do that young lady at least you're honest i ain't never seen nobody that can do that you know that can you do that brother no you can't do that either so, I mean, so we're normal human beings, right? What is it that changes all of a sudden when something goes wrong like that? A demon came by and demonized you. So, these things, and it says, and when many persist with demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word. And when that demon comes to you and starts demonizing you and tormenting you and trying to put you into grief or pain or whatever, what should we, as children of God, do to that devil? We should speak to him in the name of Jesus. You devil of hell, you come to torment me. You come to put sickness and disease upon me. I'm walking in obedience to God's word. Lord, if I've done anything I don't know what I've done, i repent. Lord, I'm walking holy before you. Now, I've repented of every sin known and unknown. Now, that devil has no authority and power over me. So, devil, in the name of Jesus, get out. And I am not taking no for an answer. You notice what Ayesha said. She had to learn how to get violent with the devil. You know, you heard her say that Dave would be scratching and scratching and scratching and clawing himself for hours. And he couldn't get no relief. And she had rebuilt the devil and commanded him to get his hands off and he'd be asleep in three or four minutes. Isn't that amazing? Now, that's the kind of woman to have, right? That's the kind of mate to have. Especially if you're the one got the problem, right? Well, we don't want to have that problem, do we, brother? No, absolutely not. But when you got a mate that can kick that devil out, I mean, you can see great and wonderful things. We have power over the devil. And then in verse 17, after Jesus said he healed them all, verse 17 says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, himself, Jesus, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. That's the same thing we read over there in Isaiah 53, 4. He bore our pain and took our sickness. So if he bore our pain and took our sickness. I don't remember if the ladies here that was are you is the lady here that Tuesday night had the back trouble that I prayed for? I don't see her, but anyway, there was a lady here Tuesday night that had a have back trouble for a several month. You had back trouble for a long time yourself, didn't you, Brother David? How long did you have that? Long time. A long time. Now did it go to show you I I hate to say this, but he goes to show you how long we'll suffer when you've been to church and hearing the Word of God. Finally, the other day, how long was it, a month ago or something like that, when you come to me? About a month ago, Brother David came up here and he said, "Thurman, I've had it. I can't stand it no longer. I said, what do you mean? He said, this back pain is killing me. I've got to have some relief. I said, you've had it a long time? He said, yes. I said, brother, if you wasn't my brother, I'd punch you out. He said, what do you mean? I said, good grief, you've been coming here forever. And you've been having this pain all this time? He said, well, yeah. I said, come up here and let me kick this devil out of you. And I prayed for him and Jesus healed him. He had no back pain since, right? Isn't it awesome? It is awesome. It, when Jesus says, I know what you have need of even before you ask. But that's like the lady that was here Tuesday night. And she, come up, she said, would you pray for my back? I have this tremendous pain in my back. So I laid my hand on her back. I rebuked the pain, commanded it to leave. I said, Jesus, bore your pain. So this is a devil. And he doesn't have no legal right to. You're a daughter of the king. I said, do you have your sins repented of." She said, yes. So I laid my hand on her rebuked the devil. I said, now how's it now? And she moved around. She said, well, not any better. I slapped my hand back on her back. I said, you devil of hell, come out of there. I ain't taking no for an answer. I said, in the name of Jesus. This lady is a daughter of the king. I said, you come out of her in Jesus' name. I said, now then, how is it? She she said, well, it's gone. Hey, is Jesus wonderful? Is he wonderful? I mean, Beth, she's had a tremendous problem in her neck. We prayed for you two or three times, but your neck's getting better all the time, isn't it? Every day getting better. I mean, a few weeks ago when I prayed for her the first time, her neck was really hurting her. Couldn't even move it. it had spurs in it. But she's a daughter of the king. All she's got to do is repent. We kicked that devil out in the name of Jesus. That's what Jesus bore for you, wasn't it? He bore her pain and he bore her sickness. He says in Matthew eight seventeen, after he read verse 16, where he kicked out the devils and healed all, it says that it might be fulfilled was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself, Jesus, He took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, if Jesus took my infirmities and bare my sicknesses, I don't think He planned for you and me both to have that pain. But I had back pain a whole lot in my life, too, till I learned these things. But now we both learned them, right? Praise the King. Jesus is the healer. We stand on His Word. We stand on His Word with no doubt in our heart. Then He says, in First Peter two, now I'm going to read this out of my Bible. First Peter two, because I like to read verse twenty one. I used to not read that, but First Peter two twenty one. I want us to read read those scriptures. Uh oh, I had the place and then lost it. Okay, First Peter two twenty one. I used to only read verse twenty four, and then one day the Lord quickened my spirit. And he says, son, when you read First Peter two twenty four, you really need to start at verse 21. And I thought, oh, wonder what that says. I'd read it lots of times, but it never became a rhema word to me. But so this day it did. When I, after the Lord quickens it to you and says, son, you need to start at verse 21. So I went back up to verse 21, and this is what I read. For even here unto were you call, put your name right there. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. You should follow his steps. Is that going to be a mouthful? Is that going to be a pretty good chore? I'm telling you it's going to be a very good chore. Then he tells us what he did. Jesus did no sin. So how much sin are we supposed to have? None. None. We're supposed to walk without sin. Well, we know we can't do that 24-7, or at least we have not been able to. Uh, Maybe you have. I haven't obtained it yet. We're struggling to get there. So when we do make a mistake, we just repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I blew it. Forgive me. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. You have to be very careful about what you say about people. Hard not to speak deceit or guile about other people. It says, Who when he was reviled that's really what puts us to the test, revile not again. He did not retaliate. When he suffered even, he threatened not. Now that'll really put you to the test. If you have to suffer just a little to go along with it, you really want to retaliate. But he said, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. The king. Who his own self, Jesus, bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. So we should live unto righteousness. There should be no sin in our flesh. Then he says, after you do all these things by whose stripes you were healed. So, if we can walk in obedience to his word, and if we do sin, we immediately repent. Don't give that devil time to come in. If you make a mistake, immediately repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. I blew it. I messed up. I want to get right with you. And I want to be restored. And if you do that, then he says, by my stripes, you were healed. So, if you were healed, you're being healed, you're constantly healed, you don't ever have to be sick again. Only when you open the door through sin. Do you have to be sick? If you open that door through sin, he will make you sick. Now then, while we're right there, I will go to one more place in 1 John, right there on that particular place, 1 John 5. I want to confirm this to you one more time in 1 John 5. Verse 17 says, All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. But there is a sin unto death also. Now then, we don't know what the sin unto death is every time. I know a few things that are a sin unto death. But, in not in every case for every person. That's what I don't understand. When I say that, I qualify that by saying from the Word of God in the book of Acts, a man by the name of Ananias lied to the Holy Ghost one day about a piece of property. And you know what happened to him the minute he lied? He died. All y'all heard that story before? Everybody heard that story? Ananias walked in and Ananias and Sapphira... And he told his wife, he said, you know, honey, I want, we're going to sell this piece of land over here. Now, the numbers I'm going to use are fictitious. I'm just using, he said, you know, this piece of land, we're going to sell this for $500. But we're going to tell the church we got 300 for it. And we're going to be good boys and girls. And we're going to tell the church we're going to give them the whole thing. We're going to be so goody-goody. Okay, she said, it like a good deal to me. So they sell the piece of land for $500. And he comes and says, Peter... We sold this piece of land for $300, and we want to give it all to the church. And Peter says, you know, Ananias, why have you tried to deceive God? Why have you lied to God? He said, now, because you lied, you will die. And he immediately fell dead, right there in front of everybody. And they picked him up and took him out and dug a hole and put him in it. You know, don't go through none of this long burial stuff like we do today. They just took him up, wrapped him up in a sack, and took him out, and dug a hole, and told him in it, and covered him up. And three hours later, when the men are finished, and they come back, just about that time, his wife walks in. And Peter, when he sees her coming, he says, Sapphira, did you and Anna and I sell that piece of land for $300 or not? She said, oh, yeah, that was the price. He said, why have you two selected together to lie to God? Because you've lied now, then the same man that just buried your husband is going to bury you. And bam, she fell dead. And it says, great fear fell upon the church. I bet for a while nobody lied about money, don't you? <laughs> you sell a piece of land last week? Yeah, I sold it for $500. How much are you going to give the church? I'm going to give them a good tithe, $100. $50 is my tithe, but I'm going to give them 100 But I sold it for five. You know, but I'm going to give the Lord $100 out of that 500 That's more than a tithe, Lord. Lord, I'll pro- I, I, it's a blessing to be able to give to you and to your kingdom. I guarantee you, that would have put a fear in people if that happened in church today. But see, we obviously know that lying and even about money is not to sin unto death every time because probably everybody in here has lied about money somewhere in your life. And you're still alive. So, it wasn't a sin unto death. So, who knows? There is several things that are sins unto death for some people, but not for you. Or a sin unto death or something that will make you sick and afflict you for one person, but it won't afflict the other one until maybe much later. So, it's kind of scary. So, what he says here, all unrighteousness is sin. We need to get rid of unrighteousness if we want to walk in health. And that's why we come to a healing school, we want to learn how to walk in divine health. We want to learn to walk healed. It's a whole lot better to have no sickness and disease than it is to be sick. I know I had all kinds of years of it, and I didn't like it. But the last 20 has been wonderful. No sickness, no disease. But you've got to be a man or a woman of faith to walk there. You can't just... Flippantly say, well, I'll spend 30 minutes with God this week. No, that won't work. You've got to study a whole lot more than 30 minutes a week. You've got to hide the Word in your heart. You've got to spend some serious time with God if you want to walk in divine health. Now, verse 18 says, We know that whosoever is born of God does not sin. But he that is begotten of God keeps himself from evil, and then that wicked one cannot touch you. That's really pretty clear, isn't it? So if you're supposed to be a child of God and you don't sin, and if you don't sin, you keep yourself from evil, and then if the devil can't touch you, the wicked one, which is the devil, he can't make you sick because the devil is the one that makes us sick. All sickness and disease comes from the devil. He is the author of sickness and disease. I don't care what it is. If it's sickness and disease that's in your flesh, it's from the enemy. God does not make you sick. But the devil does. And the devil does it because of our lack of knowledge of the Word or because of our sin. And of course, both of those boils down to sin. Because God told us in His Word to study His Word. Study. Meditate on the Word. Day and night. Now then, to, to make the two things that will happen, and this, and we we'll go back to the book of Joshua, and Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, he te- makes this statement to us. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, he says, This book of the law, this book of the law in Joshua one eight, shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. How much time are you supposed to spend with the Lord? That sounds like a whole lot, doesn't it? Day and night. Be thinking about the word, meditating on the word. That you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, after you've done these things, for then you shall make your way prosperous, and then shall you have good success. How many people in life do you know that want to be prosperous and successful? I think that's all of us. I want to be prosperous and successful. He tells me i got to study and meditate on the word to do it. Now then, when it comes to healing, we all want to be well. Well, we've got to go to Proverbs to find out what it takes to be well. Proverbs chapter 4. So when you get to Proverbs chapter 4, over there in Joshua 1.8, he was talking about meditating on the word of God. Studying it, hiding it in your heart, reading it, listening to it, doing, obeying what it says. Well, in chapter 4 of Proverbs, verse 20, again, he's talking about words. My son, attend to my words. The Bible. Incline your ear unto my sayings, and let them not depart from your eyes, But keep them in the midst of your heart. In other words, that sounds to me like keeping the word in you all the time. Thinking about it. Waking up in the morning, praising the king, quoting the word, meditating on the word of God constantly. And then he says, keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life. The words of God are life unto those that find them and health to all your flesh. So what is health and life? The word of God. It's not going down to the health and wellness center. It's not taking the right kind of drugs. It's hiding the word of God in your heart. Now, I don't know. Some of you may be in the medical profession. But I personally do not know of a single man-made drug that you can take that does not have some kind of a reaction to it. You know, something that can... I mean, you know, I I, I don't even remember what it was. Somebody brought me up. Bottle of pills. they said, would you read the warning on this? And it was, I forget what it was, something. But it says on their warning, this taken could cause explosive diarrhea. Explosive diarrhea? And it was going to take you for something else. I don't know what it was supposed to take care of. But I thought, if this could cause explosive diarrhea... You'd be in trouble if you're driving down the freeway or if you're in a bunch of people and all of a sudden you have explosive diarrhea. What are you going to do? I ain't taking nothing like that. I am not taking that under no conditions. But read other things. say This was good for uh, depression, but it can cause, in some cases, heart failure. You've read those kind of things, haven't you, young lady? You know what I mean. So, who in the world would want to take something like that? I don't know. Well, as far as me, I'm not going to take them. You know, i had much rather take the Word of God. Now then, let's go on here after we saw what happened in Peter. We know that Jesus has made this sickness and everything. And we know that the Lord has given us a new uh, covenant in these last days. And we know that we get a new spirit when we're born again because he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, therefore if any man is in Christ he is a new creature, old things are passed away behold all things are become new. Now it is God's will to heal you because sickness comes from the devil. I want you to notice in these next few verses that these people were bound or oppressed by the devil. In Acts 10:38 Think about this in Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. What do you have to have to get rid of the devil? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when he does come upon you, you can see some of the most awesome things you've ever seen in your life. I mean, I think about one night when the Holy Spirit came upon me. I'd been teaching the Word of God about two hours, and I was down in Louisiana. And they brought a woman came up there shaking with both hands. And I said, ma'am, what's wrong with you? And she said, I have lupus and Parkinson." And I just reached up and laid my hand on her shoulder and said, in the name of Jesus. And that's all I had to say. And bam, her hand's as solid as a rock. That woman was instantly healed of Parkinson's and lupus right there, just like that. But it didn't stop there. I mean, when I sensed that, I thought, Wow, this is awesome, Lord. The gift of healing or the gift of miracles had just come up on me, Lord. You don't know how long this is going to last. So I run to the man sitting right here with both legs sticking straight out with steel braces. I said, What's wrong with you? He said, 21 months ago, a tree fell over a tractor, and I was riding it, and he crushed both of my legs. And I've not walked a step in 21 months. And they say, I'll never walk again. I said, But Jesus said, and John fourteen thirteen. Anything we ask the Father in the name of Jesus, he will do. Do you believe that? He said, I do. I knelt on the floor, put my hands on him. I asked the Father in Jesus' name to do a complete healing on his knees. Then I told him, take the steel off and throw it away and stand up and walk. And in two minutes, that guy's running up down the aisles of that church screaming, God is awesome. What do you need to make these things work? The Holy Ghost. What did Jesus, what did God anoint Jesus with? The Holy Ghost and with power. When that same Holy Spirit comes upon you and me today, we can do the same kind of things. We ought to be seeking Him. We ought to ask Him every morning, Lord, fill me today with that Holy Spirit and power. I want to be used of You for Your glory. Ask Him every day to fill you with that. And then say, Lord, as I go, use me today for your glory. I want to do something wonderful for Jesus today. And if you'll ask him, he will. You'll get to see him do great things. I want you to see this devil in Luke chapter 13 verse 16. In Luke 13:16, Jesus said, "And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo these 18 years" Be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. Now, according to the Scripture, who had bound this woman? Satan, Satan, the devil. See, he's invisible, but he goes inside of your body, and this woman was all bowed over and bent over, and she could in no wise loose herself. But Jesus, anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, laid his hands on her and said, Be loosed from your infirmity. And when he said, be loosed from your infirmity, that devil left her. And the minute that devil left her, did he have to pray for her healing? No. He just told that devil to leave. This is the thing we have to do in a healing school whenever you have a sickness or a disease. When you come up here, you make sure every sin is repented of, and you believe the Word of God, and we put... The, put hands on you and by the power of the Holy Spirit command and curse your sickness and command this demon of hell or these devils to leave your flesh and never return in the name of Jesus. And when they leave, then we ask the Father in Jesus' name to restore everything the devil has messed up and you get healed. That's what I did to David's back the other day. Kick the devil out of him and then asked the Lord to restore his back. It had been hurting for months and he got healed. Just like Beth said, her neck. She had bone spurs when she when her Dan came to see me the other day. And we prayed over her neck two or three times. But praise God, it's getting much better all the time. She could already bend. She was miserable with those bone spurs in her neck. All you got to do is repent of your sins and believe God. He'll heal you. Is it good news to have a God that understands we're weak in flesh and that He will forgive us when we repent? Isn't it wonderful? He's a whole lot better than us. Some of us, we won't go there. You know, we say, Okay, David, you messed up this time. I'm going to forgive you this time, buster, but don't you ever make that mistake again. I'm kicking you out. Do you hear people say that? Sure we do. Sure. We don't forgive and forget. And Cheryl's favorite verse is Psalms 103, verse 12, where the Lord says, I put your sins as far as the east is from the west, never to remember them again. So when you come back and mess up again, It's like the first time. He don't remember the others. Aren't we glad? I am. I am. But this devil. Now the Bible calls sickness satanic oppression. That's what Jesus said. But praise God, Jesus is a deliverer. But Satan is that oppressor. And praise the Lord, our Jesus defeated that devil 2,000 years ago. Now, the thief in John 10, 10 comes not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I am come that you might have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Now, the king come to give you what? Life. Do you like that? Yes, I do too. And life abundantly. Not just normal life. I mean, this is life abundantly. But now... Did it take Dave Rosenfeld and Ayesha some fighting to get to where they could receive that that life? Yeah, and during the course of the battle, I mean, it was a battle, wasn't it? I mean, theirs was a real battle. And like she told me once the other day, we was talking, she said, Thurman, if we had have known when we started out this was going to be this intensive, we're not sure we would have attempted to undertake this. Thank the Lord the Lord doesn't tell us how intensive it's going to be, you know. Therefore, you can't say, well, I'm not willing to pay this price. I'll just keep putting this lotion on me and we'll just go through life like this. But we never know when we pray if it may be over in not just in a few minutes. Yours didn't take but a day or two or something, did it, David? Very little? Less than that. It didn't take long at all for him to get healed And that's what we love. When we pray for somebody and see the king do something instantly, that's what we want, isn't it, brother? Absolutely. But if he don't do it like that, then we stand on his word till we get it, right? We make sure that we've got our sins repented of, we get violent with that devil and keep kicking him out in the name of Jesus because we know that the healing power of Jesus is for every one of his children every time. All we've got to do is stand on it. Now, in the course of that test and trial, it may take a little while to get there, and it took David and the issue, a little less than two years, but that's an intensive battle, and when I prayed for Ed Brock years ago, it took six months for Ed to get well with terminal cancer, but we stood on his word and fought to fight. That was my first encounter with terminal sickness and healing in 1986. That's the first one I ever saw, and if God hadn't spoke to me in that hospital room that day and spoke to me in an audible voice and told me what to do, I could have never stood on that. I had, did not have that kind of faith. But Jesus came in 1 John three eight. He says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. And for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested or came to this earth that he might destroy The works of the devil. Now then, Jesus is still in the process of destroying the works of the devil. When you lay your hands on someone, like Beth's neck or David's back or anybody else that we prayed for or that you prayed for, when you lay your hands on them, you make sure their sins are repented of, and then you ask the Lord to fill you with a mighty Holy Spirit and power. And say, Lord, I want to thank you, because I know on my own power, I cannot do one single thing. But I know with that Holy Spirit, if the Holy Ghost will come upon me, nothing is impossible with me and the Holy Ghost. So, Lord, I'm asking you to fill me to overflowing with the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, this person has repented of their sins, and I'm going to lay my hands on them. Uh, Depends on where their sickness is, but somewhere... I'm going to lay my hands, and if it's not in something that would be touching you in the wrong place, lay it on the sickness, like the back. I don't have a problem laying my hand on the back of either a woman or a man. But some other places I don't touch. But anyway, you lay your hands where the sickness is or close to it, and then rebuke the devil. And say, Lord, kill this devil of hell living in this person in the name of Jesus. That's what you came to do, to destroy the works of the devil. So, Lord... By being anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, I lay my hands on that person, and I ask you to curse that. I speak curses on their sickness, on their cancer, on their back pain, on their neck problems, on their little... I curse them things in the name of Jesus, and I command those things to dissipate and to come out of this body in the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, that I've spoken to the devil... By the power of the Holy Spirit and commanded him to leave you. Now, Lord, ask you to send that mighty Holy Spirit in there to heal and restore and make everything perfect in that person's body and make them back even better than they were before. In the name of Jesus. And he'll do it. Just like Dave came to me the other day, his first winter. He said, look at my skin. That's be- my first winter with this cold skin, cold weather, dry weather. He said, my skin's beginning to crack and chap a little. I said, speak to your body. Command your body to produce the oils that it's supposed to produce. That is the body's job to produce those oils to keep your skin moist. Speak to it. Command it to do it in the name of Jesus. So he started speaking to his body. And just in two or three days, all of the uh, chapness and everything went away. His body, you have to tell your body what to do. You have to talk to it. See, don't talk to it negatively. Talk to it positively. The Lord says in the book of James chapter 3, the perfect man is the man that controls his words. And if he becomes perfect and controls his words, his, he will be able to control his entire body. You can tell your body what to do and it will do it. Isn't that amazing? Tell your body what to do in the name of Jesus and your body will Respond to your words. So you got to do that. Now, the old covenant, sealed in the blood of animals, provided healing. Now, we've been through many of those scriptures that showed those. So I'm not going to go over those again. We've already talked about many of those today. And of course, in Psalms 103, we quoted a little bit of that. Uh, in verse uh, 3, this ben- it says, forget not all the Lord's benefits, and this is his benefit package, and this is the best one in the world I've ever seen. Verse 3 of Psalm 103, he forgives all of your iniquities, and he heals all of your diseases. How many of your diseases does he heal? All. Only if you stand on his word by faith, will your sins repented, do you get all of them. What order did he say? Who forgiveth all your iniquities and your sins? So you must confess them first and get right with God. If you've messed up somewhere, he'll forgive you. I mean, I've seen him forgive some of the most wicked people you can imagine. And then I've seen them get healed. He will do that. And Psalms 107 verse 17 is an awesome statement there. It said, Fools because of their transgressions and because of their iniquities are afflicted. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Fools. God calls you a fool if you go out and can stay in your transgressions and your iniquities or your sins. He said, because you do those things, you are afflicted. You know, you're made sick. Hmm, That's something, isn't it? But verse 20 of that same Psalm, one hundred seven twenty, he said, He sent his word and healed them. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. How do we get people healed? With the Word of God. When you believe God's Word, He takes away your pain. I mean, Jesus is awesome. You know, He is the best doctor I ever found. And the beautiful part about Jesus, He makes house calls, and He doesn't charge. Man, is that awesome. You can't find a doctor today make a house call, can you, brother? And if, and if you could find one, man, I can only imagine what it would cost. I mean, because those doctors don't work cheap. You know, praise God for good Christian doctors. I'm grateful for those that are good Christian doctors because we got to have them. But let's see what some of these promises are now. We'll go over just a few of these promises under the new covenant. we got just a few minutes here. Let's hit a few of these. In Mark 11, I want you to see under the new covenant some of these mighty promises that God has given us that so many people in the church today do not believe these promises. But these things are powerful. One of them was the one Dave used up there, Mark eleven twenty four. But in Mark eleven twenty two, Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God, or have the God kind of faith. Now you've got to to make these verses which are so powerful work for you, you have to stop thinking like a human being. You've got to get rid of this nonsense that of your five physical senses. You can't think like a person because if you look at something, how many how many people, I mean, I here a while back, a few years ago, when I was a, a, re, a manager down here for an outfit at the airport, one of the guys got cut with a razor blade one day, split his finger open about a half inch long, you know, and so they called me and said, Thurman, he's cut his finger open. We need you to come down and see. So I went down there. I said, okay, I mean, good grief. You know, it's only a half inch long. Of course, it's about a quarter inch deep. But no big deal, so we put a Band-Aid around it, and you're okay. He said, no, I've got to go to the doctor. You've got to take me to the doctor. And he just, whoosh, eyes rolled back. He just passed out. I said, okay. So I wiped the blood off of him. I took a band-aid and wrapped around his finger nice and tight. And I picked this guy up, which didn't weigh but about 160 pounds. I picked him up and carried him over put him in my pickup seat. And I started to the doctor. And I was going down the road and all of a sudden he woke up and I said, how are you doing? he said, oh, Thurman, I'm cut, I'm hurt. I said, I know, I saw you had that little cut on your finger there. I said, but you're going to be okay. No problem. It's just a barely bleeding he said, bleeding, he looked down and he saw a little blood on the rag and he said, and he was out again until I got him to the doctor. Didn't worry about him no more. Some people don't have very good staying power. You know that? And the next guy, you know, the next guy, think about this one guy that used to work for me. He had a big, great big old steel pin. He was trying to drive in the back of a truck one day with about a four-pound sledgehammer. Had his hand around that thing. And that hammer hit the edge of that and missed it and knocked the whole end of his thumb completely off. I mean, thumbnail was gone. I mean, blood went everywhere. And I looked up and he had a rag wrapped around it. And he was back over there. And I went over and he's driving that pen in. I said, where did all that blood come from on that rag? Oh, he said, it hit my finger a while ago. I said, hit it. I said, you sure got a lot of blood on that rag. He said, well, yeah, I kind of messed it up a little. But I said, it's going to be okay. He's driving that pin in. And just about the time he gets through driving he said, that's what I was trying to do, get that in. I said, let me see your thumb. He said, no, Thurman, it's okay. I said, no, 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 I want to see it. Oh, if I take the rag off, it's going to bleed more. I said, well, it's okay, I want to see it. He took that rag off when I see it. I said, whoa, I'm taking you to the doctor. He said, I knew that's what you would say. He said, it's going to be okay. Wrapped it back up, put it. He said, I ain't going to the doctor. I said, oh, yes, you are. I'm taking you. You talk about a difference in two guys. One guy had a little bitty tiny cut, a half inch long, and the other one knocked his whole thumbnail plumb off, and he ain't even going to the dark, blood just running out everywhere. That's the difference in people. You know, one of them look at something like that, can't stand it, the next one can. So, to make these things work for you, you've got to have the God kind of faith, and you've got to stop thinking like a person, a man. You've got to think like God. Now, if you can think like God, this is a promise He gives to you, under the new covenant. Mark eleven twenty three. Jesus is speaking. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever... Now, who's this to? Whosoever. Are you a whosoever? Yep. Okay. We're children of the king, so we're a whosoever. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Shall not doubt. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. When you read that, would that make us a little bit more aware of what we want to say the right things? You wouldn't want to stand up up on national television and say, I'd rather be dead than see that man governor. And that day you die. Or you wouldn't want to be president of the United States and say, the day the war is over, I'll die. And he did. Isn't that awful? Don't make a stupid statement like that. Say, I'm going to live and not die. I'm going to live and be in health and not die. I'm going to live until the Lord translates me out of this place, and I'm going to do it with no pain and suffering because I'm going to serve Jesus. That's the declaration that you should make. I'm going to be a, oh, people say, oh, you old woman, you. See, I hear people say that after they're 40, (laughs) but I literally hear people when they get to be 40, especially women, you know, how old are you, I'm not telling you, I'm so old, well, but I mean, I I really would like to know, you don't look old, well, but I am so old, how old are you, well, I'm going to be 40 my next birthday, oh, I'm so old, oh, my heart bleeds for you. But I hear people talking like that. Say, Praise God, I'm 39, but I'm—I mean, you know, I'm going on, and I'm going to live to be 90. In fact, there was a lady called me from West Texas the other day, and she said, "I have got to talk to you." She sent me a letter. Said, "I've tried to get in touch with you and couldn't, so I'm sending you a letter." When you get this letter, I want you to call me and pray for me, if you possibly will. I said, "Okay." So it was about nine o'clock at night. Uh, I think it was last night or whichever night it was. Sure was singing, so she wasn't there. So I was there all trying to answer all these phone calls and I called this lady and the lady answered and said, oh yes, Miss Lillian, she wants to talk to you so bad. So she got her over there and she said, Brother Thurman, I watch you on television every time I can out here on GLC and said, I know you're such a man of faith. I want you to pray for me for my hearing and my eyes and I know when you pray for me, I'm going to be healed. I said, fantastic. I said, you sound so strong. How young are you, ma'am? She said, I am 99, but I'm fixing to be 100 in just a few days. I thought, wow. Now, there's a woman, right? I am 99. Boy, she sounded as strong as any 60-year-old woman I ever heard. I mean, she was really on fire. And she said, I know when you pray for me, I'm going to be healed because Jesus is awesome. Her declaration's right, wasn't it? And course, when I hung up to get ready to hang up, hang up the phone. She said, I'll call you in a few days with a praise report. I said, okay, great. I thought, Lord, now that lady is nearly 100 years old and she's got that kind of faith. That's why she's lived to be 99 years old. Her confession has been right. And she believed these things because the Lord said we can have whatever we say. It will come to pass. In fact, I even read an article talking about these things about a man that was talking to Smith Wigglesworth one day, one of the greatest men of faith there was, and he said something to Smith, how long do you want to live, Smith? He said, well, if the Lord just give me 15 more years, I'll be okay. Now, he made that statement, and at 87, and they went back and checked from the day he said that to the day he stepped up on that pulpit to preach, when he was 87, was 15 years later exactly, and he dropped dead. See, you better be careful what you say, right? Yeah. Better be very careful what you say. Because you're going to have what you say. Your tongue, life and death in the power of the tongue. Because the Lord says right there in Mark eleven twenty three, but if you shall believe that those things which you say shall come to pass, you shall have whatsoever you say. That should change what we say. Verse 24, Therefore, Jesus says, I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Is that an awesome promise from the king? What did you say you could have, brother? Whatever you say. Whatever you believe he can do. Well, I'm not sure Jesus can heal this without a doctor. Well, he'll meet you right where your faith is. If you want to go have surgery, thank thank you, Jesus, for meeting me where my faith is. But if I believe you can take care of it, then I have no problem. But the Lord also says there, right after he makes those awesome statements, he says in verse 25, And when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any That your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. You have to forgive. You can't carry a grudge. Now then, let's go to a couple more scriptures we're just about through today. James 5.14. This is one of the most powerful healing scriptures in the entire New Covenant. Now this scripture, if the church believed this scripture... We could do what this scripture says, and every human being in the church that needed to be healed, if they believed this with no doubt in their heart, and the men that prayed the prayer of faith believed this with no doubt in their heart, every human being that prayed would have to be healed. Would have to be. How long would it take? He didn't say. He just says it will happen. But listen, I've used this verse many times and seen many people miraculously healed. Some of them in short term, some of them in long term. But seen them get healed. In verse 14 of of chapter 5 of James, it says, Is any sick among you? Who would that include, brother? That's all of us, isn't it? Is any sick among you? Let him or her, if it's a man or a woman, let him call for the elders of the church. Now, these are men that are supposed to be well-established in the Word of God. It's not some bunch of kids, 20, 25, 30-year-old. You don't normally find a 20- to 30-year-old that's that much of a man of faith. There is some of them out there. There's some extremely good young men of faith. But the average 25- or 30-year-old is not a man of faith. When I was 30 years old, I didn't know what faith. I couldn't spell the word faith. You know, Seriously. I didn't know what it meant. I had no idea. 35, I still didn't know. I'm just barely learning. I didn't know what it meant to pray the prayer of faith for someone. But it says here, And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And verse 15 says, And the prayer of faith, not the prayer of unbelief, but the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. I mean, that covers it all, doesn't it? In the church, if the church would believe that, and the church would stop sinning, number one, we virtually never have anybody sick in the church. But if we did have somebody get sick in the church, if they came down and asked the pastor and the elders to anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith for them, as soon as they prayed and anointed them with oil, what should they all believe? They're healed. It's done. Now, what if you can't tell no difference? What if you're still walking, you've still got that same pain, and you say, well, I'm healed. Somebody said, well, you sure don't look healed. You don't go by what you see. You go by what's written in this book. If Jesus said you're healed... And you walk out that door and somebody says, Look at that woman, or look at that man. He's still crippling along, he can't do nothing. But he said, Praise God, it's written in the word, I feel good, I'm healed. They say, You're lying, they said, No, I'm calling things that be not as though they were. Praise God, I'm healed. And they step out and through the door time they get to the car, they say, Whoa, man, praise God. I am healed. No, you gotta believe that at the beginning. But if you may that's just like uh Bobby, can't think of Bobby's name now, last name. But I met a young man at a National Day of Prayer in Flower Mound two or three years ago. And a young lady that knew me brought him over to me and said, Thurman Bobby is scheduled for surgery, I think, in a week or two. And said, he sings in the choir in our church. He loves God with all his heart. But he has had this back problem for years. Would you pray for him? I said, sure. So she went and got him, brought him to me. And I said, how long have you had this back problem? He said, since I was 14. I said, how old are you? He said, 38. I said, what happened at 14? He said, I broke my back playing football. He said, I've been in pain. And the pain gets worse and worse and worse every year. He said, so this year, it finally got, it's hurting so bad, I can't stand it any longer. So he said, I've checked out all the finest doctors in the Metroplex. And not one single one of them can guarantee me that when they get through, I won't still have pain. But they said they believe they can help me. I said, tell you what. I got a doctor that can guarantee no pain. He said, You have? I said, Yeah, his name is Jesus. He said, What? I said, Yeah, the God I serve, his name is Jesus, and he made you and me a promise. And I quoted him a couple of them. I said, Now then, do you believe those promises? He said, You know, I do. I said, Okay, good. I said, You got all your sins repented of? He said, Oh, yeah, I'm walking in obedience to God's word. I'm not doing nothing wrong. I said, Okay. I prayed the prayer of faith for him and I turned and looked at Bobby and I said, I'm going to guarantee you when you wake up in the morning, you'll not have a pain ever again in your back in Jesus' name. What did Jesus say I could have in Mark 11:23. Did he say I could have whatever I say with my mouth if I believe it in my heart? Bobby left there that afternoon, went home, went to bed, woke up the next morning, and he has not had one single pain in his back from that day to this. Isn't that awesome? Didn't God make this hard? He made it so easy for us, didn't he? But you know, we don't believe him, do we? Just like that scripture right there. James 5. How many churches do you know or have you ever been in that when somebody got sick, they call the pastor and elder to do this and say, Praise God, I know I'm healed because I've repented of my sins and I'm calling on the name of the Lord and he made me a promise and I'm healed? Very rarely. I know a Baptist church one time that a woman had breast cancer. And they said it's going to take off both her breasts. She said, I am not going to lose my breasts. She said, I read a scripture in the Bible. And it's James 5, 14, 15. And she said, I am going to be healed. And she called that preacher. And they took a bottle of anointing oil. And she said, I want to do it on Sunday morning before the congregation. I want them to anoint me with oil. And I want to know that. I want Jesus to know and these people know. I believe in the Word of God. And they anointed that woman with oil and prayed over her. And let me tell you that woman was miraculously healed in a matter of days. Her cancer was completely gone and she was set free. And did you know that little Baptist church, that bottle of anointing oil, they used that on the communion table for years. And you know, you know how many times it was used in the future? How many times? Never. Isn't that a shame? They got to see God heal that woman. Was it her faith that got her healed? Yes. She said, I ain't losing my breath not with them kind of promises in the Word of God. They we're standing on that word, and I'm going to have these men pray. So when you men pray, it says you must pray the prayer of faith. And she said, I want you to pray believing that I'm healed. And so, boy, she was so bold about it. And those guys wouldn't have dared pray. Oh, God, if it be your will. I mean, that one would have stopped them. I mean, she said, I am healed. And she stood on God's mighty word. And that woman got her healing. But did Jesus promise it to her? Yes, he did didn't take long either, because she had bold, violent faith. And then in Galatians 3.13, it go, we're going to hit this one, and then we're going to quit. Galatians 3.13, we were under the curse under the law. And the devil knows the curse, and he knows every sin that you commit. He knows exactly what demon to sin for that particular sin that you commit. But Jesus came and said in verse 13 of Galatians three. That I, Christ, have, have already redeemed you from the curse of the law. I have redeemed you from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This new covenant of faith. Yes, many of us are under the curse today. Dave was under a curse. It was a generational curse. A curse that came down through generations through his family line. And many of them had this same thing. But one day, he finally got a hold of it. I am redeemed from the curse. If I'm redeemed, if Jesus paid the price, and he bore my sickness, removed my disease, there's no use in me and him both having this So I'm standing on the word of God and I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to stand and I'm going to stand and I'm going to stand until the manifestation of God's word occurs. And it did. And today he can stand before you, walk back there carrying his little son and have a precious little, what, five or six months old. How old is now? Five months, four, five months old. Have a precious little boy that is totally, perfectly, beautifully, normally well with no sickness and disease. It's wonderful to learn these things, what God done for us. But when we repent of our sins and we curse these devils of hell and drive them out, they have to leave. Now the thing you have to remember as a Christian, if one of these devils come to you to put something on you, don't receive it. You don't have to have somebody else to go with you. I mean, if if you're a woman that's married, you need your husband. You need him to pray for you. Because he's your priest. And he will pray for you, and God will heal you. Now, if you're somewhere where you can't get to him, and it's life-threatening, you can pray for yourself. But the best thing to do, if you can get on the phone, get to your husband, have him pray the prayer of faith for you. Because he is your priest. And the Word of God says... God made the woman for the man, and every woman is to be subject, every wife is to be subject to her husband. A woman ought to be subject to no man unless she's married to him. But if she's married to him, she's got to be subject to him. And then if she's is subject to him, and he's walking in obedience to the word, then any time she has a need, he can pray for her, and God will heal her. And usually it'll happen instantly. Not every time. Depends on what they have. But He will do that for you many times. So you two can gather together as a team, if both of you are walking in obedience. And when you need to pray about something on either one of you or for one of your children, Jesus said in Matthew eighteen nineteen that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask Me for, it shall be done for you by My Father which is in heaven. Did He not? Yes, He did that. Cheryl and I've used that verse. I don't even know how many times we used a prayer of agreement. For people, many, many times we've used that verse, and it heals people. Well, we've come to another end of another healing school. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for these great and awesome promises that you've given us in your word. I thank you for all these wonderful healings that you've done over the years, the ones you've done quickly, those you've done over long term. But Lord, we thank you that you're our healer. You promise to heal every one of us every time if we will stand on your word. Thank you, Father, for your promises, which are yes and amen. According to 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God in Christ are yes every time. So thank you, Father, for those promises. And thank you for being our Savior, our healer, our deliverer, our provider. Thank you for being our God. And we worship you and praise you and thank you for the privilege to have another day to serve you. In Jesus' name, Lord, thank you for healing the people today. In Jesus' name, amen.